right. Morning, everybody. Good morning, Arno. Hey, Arno. Morning, morning. Hello, everyone. Hey, Philippe. Hey, Jerem. Hi, Rock. So now we have a, a little music when it starts, I mean. Yeah, you know, it's my vibe. GRM uh, like silenced and uh, silence and and I I put a little music. I ch I tried the jazzy groove this morning. That's nice. That's nice. All right. So, hello and welcome to this new GM MVX. As you all know, we started this show in French over a year ago, and we leveled up our game to bring GM MVX in English. So now we have three shows a week. Tuesdays and Fridays in French, Wednesdays in English, all at 9 a.m. UTC. So, uh, yeah, some, some said to us that we are crazy because we're doing, we're doing everything for free. Although that might be true for some of us, we like to think that we are dedicated to keeping you up to date on the exciting world of blockchain, cryptos, and NFTs. So all that thanks to our experts, our guests, that all make Web3 every single day. Today, I have my co-host, that is Joachim. So um, before, we start, before we start the show, I would like to, uh, to introduce him. Joachim is definitely one of the crazy ones because he is a speaker, co-host in GMMVX, but he's also co-founder of Gaupa Labs, a groundbreaking supply chain solution developed on Multiverse X. How are you, my friend, this morning? I'm doing very well. What about you? And thank you for this great introduction. It's a pleasure to be co-hosting with you this uh, new episode of GM and the X. I'm very happy to have you with me uh, this morning. Um, we have an exciting program. So in normally, we, we have GRM, but GRM, he just landed after uh, two weeks on the other side of the world. So he's, he's resting this morning. Um, but we, we do have some support because we have, uh, we have Alex Rock, my good friend. Uh, we'll be talking about the NFT meta later, later uh, in the show, but you're more than welcome to, um, to intervene on all the other topics that we'll talk about. And we also have Fibyte, a uh, staking provider and validator on Multiverse X, who's usually with us in the French show. But this morning, we have him with us also. Um, Joachim, I think we should, uh, we should start by explaining the program that we have today. So first, we're going to talk about what could be a game-changing factor for Multiverse X and maybe crypto at large, the sovereign shards. Then we'll be pleased to interview the one and only Martino Aragao, lead and CPO of X Money Crypto. We'll talk about him, we'll talk about X Money, we'll talk about the payment industry as a whole, and more. And finally, we'll go full DGEN and talk about the current NFT meta with Rock Boogers. So we'll do that at the end of the show. Um, before we start, please, please, because this is very important to us, go into uh, the space, comment, share it, quote it, say that this is the most awesome place in the world to be for the next one hour and a half, two hours. Um, we thank you for that. It's very important. The, the, the English show is not 
not yet very well known. So we need all the support that you can give us. Joachim, are you ready? Absolutely. Never been awesome. more ready. Awesome. So, um, Joachim, we've been in the uh, multiverse X ecosystem for quite a while now. I don't know about you, but I've been there since just a little before mainnet. Yeah, no, I, a bit later for me, I joined, uh, well, I, I joined before the Maya wallet, I joined before the exchange. So I, honestly, I, I would need to look at my wallet to when my, my first transaction is, but uh, it's, it's well above a thousand days. I remember I checked uh, last time. All right. So I'm, I think you're not going to uh, contradict me on this one, but we've met with the core team several times. And I think that the Sovereign Shards is the technical feat that they've been the most excited about for most likely the last two, three years. Um, so let's deep dive into this. I mean, a few days ago, Benjamin started the fire by posting a, a tweet with um, uh, a cool um, Sovereign Shard card with this message, this will change everything. And so it started a, a wildfire across the, the multiverse X ecosystem. We saw, of course, every core um, key figure tweet the same and then community, etc., etc. So what is your opinion on sovereign charts? Why is, is it going to change everything? So this is a great question. And as you say, servant shards is something that has been talked about for a while. And sharding in general is a feat that Multiverse X uh, excels at compared to other layer ones and gives it that um, possibility to scale, right? Solving or trying to solve at least uh, the blockchain trilemma. So servant shards um, are quite similar to what we can see on certain chains like a Cosmos or Polkadot, where it allows you to create a blockchain um, that is running on the side of the main chain that we all know and love, um, and that you can tweak to fit certain purposes. So we've already seen some examples of projects that are um, going to launch the servant charts, but one of them, for example, created uh, the goal is to create a sovereign shard that is EVM compatible, allowing um, builders and projects to migrate already existing projects that run on um, the Ethereum virtual machine on a Multiverse X sovereign shard, making it easier then to interact and improve the liquidity on Multiverse X. But in addition to creating um, making it more adapted to other um, virtual machines. We can also see that we can change the transaction fees. We can change which tokens the transaction fees are going to be in. Uh, we can change the block time, meaning that we can decide that we want transactions to go faster or slower. Um, I, I don't think anyone is going to try to launch a sovereign shot that pr uh, promotes we're going slower than mainnet. So I think it's going to be mostly in the other way. Um, and this opens a world of possibilities. We would 
um, as, for example, in gaming with uh, account abstraction, like we've talked um, quite a lot on uh, GMMVX, having the possibility to use the game's token, let's say, to pay all the transaction, but the transactions are a lot lower than on Multiverse X, should be a great way of uh, using the sovereign shards because even though multiverse x is a very cheap chain compared to um, others like ethereum every transaction still costs a few cents a regular transfer costs a bit less than a cent but like if, as soon as you're interacting with a smart contract we're talking between one and five cents quite easily and if you're playing a game where you want to that wants to leave on-chain information let's say every minute or like every action you do those costs add up we had this example uh, well we still have this example with giants but we also had it with e3s um where you're signing um so with e3s there was no account transaction so you actually had to sign yourself every single transaction that uh, which i honestly found quite frustrating but um on giants they've created a secondary wallet where you just link it and then you just send some funds but by the end of the day, you're still spending quite a lot of dollars at the end of the month just being doing um, regular actions. And the problem with that is those transactions, there is a 30% developer reward, obviously, that goes to the person who built the smart contract. But the other 70% are distributed to the network, so they're not really um, rewarding the project or the users, they're just a cost. So server and shards have this possibility to change a bit the rules that we know on MVX while still having those great tools that we know and love like Xportal. And that's why I think this is a massive milestone for Multiverse X. Okay, that, thank you for this thorough uh, and, and uh, in-depth explanation about some of the, the specific opportunities that this technology can bring. Um, what what I think is is very interesting to um, to see how it plays out with with the sovereign shards is that scaling has been an issue for blockchain for now you know inception of the technology and when in 2020 I personally started looking into um, ecosystems and 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 putting some investing in you know polkadot uh cosmos ethereum egld also at that time what was interesting with polkadot with cosmos with avalanche also was the scaling part through uh, ethereum was sharding because at that time that's what that's that was still on the on the roadmap avalanche had its uh App chains on Cosmos, uh, you have the, the, the possibility to create your blockchain, but all those technologies, they've been confronted to reality. And all of them have shown some scaling issues. Ethereum, concrete roadblock, they shifted to layer two. Um, and, and for all the other ones, they succeeded in creating the technology but there's been a massive issue in what we can call composability. And this is what excites me the most because sovereign shards in the promise, they are not layer twos, they are shards. So they are part 
of the overall multiverse X blockchain. They're integrated, fully integrated at the protocol level. So the tokens are not bridged. This is very different from what we can see in the Avalanche ecosystem, the Cosmos ecosystem, the Ethereum ecosystem. They don't need to be bridged. And this, this is new. This can, I'm going to quote the, 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 the guys from the team, but this has the potential to change everything because then a single user can switch from protocols, from products to products without even caring about where he is. Whereas when I, I'm in the Ethereum ecosystem and I'm doing some DeFi, I have to switch from one network to another. I have to bridge. It's complicated. And, and if we want to scale the number of users and we want to scale this industry, we can't have complicated products. That, that's just not possible. So in my, on, on my sense, this is what excites me about. Rock, Rock um, give us your opinion. Yeah, first off, I just wanted to give a massive shout out to GM MVX for having me here today and to all of the speakers uh, and all of the listeners here. Without you guys, there would be nothing. Uh, so appreciate every single one of you smashing that like button, reposting and also bookmarking. Uh, you'd be surprised the bookmarking actually works on spaces as well. It boosts the algo for it. All right. Just, just, <laughs> yeah, so just wanted to introduce my off and say hi and also i had a question for you guys because i'm not that familiar with shards will uh, eagle be used for all of the transaction fees as well is that confirmed or can someone decide if they can use another token of their own or whatever uh, maybe you guys know so that's a very interesting topic uh, basically a sovereign shard can decide to use the custom um, native token so you could use your project token to run the transactions and you can also do a um, dual transaction fee meaning that you um you could accept either egld as like the native uh, uh across mvx or the the custom one and in addition to that it comes the question of the validators and there it's the same you can uh decide to make a proof of stake that is a blend of egld and another token. And they're even talking about restacking, meaning that you will be able to use EGLD that has already been used um, in staking on the main chain to um, secure uh, a secondary chain. I also wanted quickly to, I hope this answers your question, Rock. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for that. And uh, to answer, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you were going to talk about the Paymaster feature that is going to come out, that it is also, that's quite groundbreaking. Um, in the future, and most likely I would say this year, um, Multiverse X is going to implement, and this is going to be on all the Multiverse X ecosystem, um, functionality so you can pay the gas fees with any ESDT token. Um, I, I heard Robert talking about it a lot. So I would say there's no, there's no effective, um, you know, hard date, but this comes with the, 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 the feature stack that is going to be built um, over the, the, the next, you know, 
um, the next period of time. And that, that's quite grind, groundbreaking because if you have, I don't know, you have, um, you have UTK token or you have any uh, other token and you want to pay gas fees, but you don't have EGLD, you can pay with this token and that will work. So in terms of uh, usability, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Um, Joachim, uh, I remember that uh, in another conversation with, uh, with um, the, the great, uh, in the great show, The Clash of Blockchains that we had last Friday, we had um, a point raised by, I think it was someone from Solana or someone from Avalanche who asked, okay, but how do the, the, the sovereign charts, if they have their own validators, how do they um, synchronize with the main, the main chain um, and make sure that the data is, is um, executed properly and stored properly. So exactly. I don't know if yeah. you, you had time to dig this or, or not. So that, so that, that is a, a very uh, good topic. And I wanted to talk about it when you started mentioning about the fact that like, we'll be able to uh, use flawlessly from one sovereign shard to the other. The launch of the sovereign shards that we uh, are about to experience from the tweets, it looks like, um, is the alpha. And the sovereign shards are going to get improved uh, with time. And in this first phase, as you, as you said, um, the goal is to not need bridges, but at the start, that is how it's going to work. We will be bridging, wrapping um, native assets from MVX and bring them to a sovereign shard. And those sovereign shards have a set of validators and it is to the discretion of the blockchain, meaning that if a project wants to have like proof of authority and only have a few nodes that they control running the blockchain, then it would be a centralized sovereign chain. And as of now, and as of what I've understood from the documentation, there is no um, finality on the main chain. Uh, so to give, an, to give an example is, if you were to send funds to a sovereign shard, let's say you wrap USDCs and send them to the sovereign shard, and that sovereign shard is only run by a couple validators that is controlled by one person. I don't think, but I might be wrong, like this is how I've understood it from the documentation. There is no guarantee um, from the mainnet that your funds would remain safe because the validators who run the sovereign shard are the one deciding. So if they were to decide suddenly that your balance isn't the one it is, and someone else's is, then that would be stored and seen as the truth from that sovereign shard. So when you when you bridge it back, the smart contract would tell, oh, actually, it's another person who now has those USDC that are linked to the smart contract on the main chain. So as of now, from what I understand, the sovereign shards are closer to DAP chains on Cosmos than they are of the fully um, the full-blown image we are hoping to see in the very near future. But if I've said anything wrong, as Martina has uh, come up, I would uh, love to be proven wrong. Yeah, I, I know this is still there's still so much for us to learn about uh, sovereign shards, and, and most likely over 2024, uh, we'll see some um, concrete 
sovereign charts come to come to life being used by several several products and so we'll be able to uh, to learn this is brand new technology of course um, we need to be uh, to be cautious we need to um, to uh, to learn how it works and I, I think that we're going to have if I remember correctly, uh, we're going to have Robert Sasu to uh, to come on the show and talk about it. Uh, quite Indeed, soon. which yeah, I'm looking very forward to because there there are some points from the from the uh, the user I would love to uh, I would love to get the answer to because as you say, if you can with export or flawlessly um, change from one shard to the other, including the sovereign shard, then if a servant shard has some specific rule or is more centralized than another, you should um, be able to see that even if uh, the connection uh, switches automatically. Yes. Well, oh, GRM. Um, most likely, you know, um, jumping on another sovereign shard that will have a specific product. No, I don't know. Let's say. Um, a sovereign shard that is built by um, tokenized real estate project, and you need to be KYC'd, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you will still interact with their UI, UX, their products. So you will most likely be, uh, even if your tokens will be able to be used seamlessly without being bridged on this sovereign shard, you will have to obey the rules of of this specific one. So. I see both both of them working very well. Yes, GRM. Hey everybody. Hey Arnold. Hey Dragon. Hey Rock. Hey uh, Philip. Hey, hey Martin Hill. Hey everyone. Um, yeah, just uh, following what you just said about uh, Robert Sass, you definitely need more information about sovereign charts to come. And I can tell you now that he will be with us uh, on uh, April, um, March sixth. So not next Wednesday, but the one after. Uh, so it will be interesting for us to gather all the questions that we have uh, to try to <laughs> to to get uh, as many information as possible. Because next week he will be at ETH Denver, so that that's why it will be the Wednesday after. But yeah, can't wait to get more information about this. Uh, and let's start the sovereign charge season all of uh, all together. <laughs> All right, great, great for the information, uh, GRM, and already starting a, a DGEN move <laughs> with the sovereign chart season. <laughs> what a madman. Willing um, for PPM in MEMS. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you said something that is interesting, uh, GRM, and important to note. Uh, the last three days, we've seen, well, it's more than the last three days because ETH Denver has been announced uh, quite a, a while back, but we've seen now token 2049 in Dubai. And we've seen, so last year, Multiverse X team went all around the world. They were to, uh, to uh, if I recall correctly, they were to, at ETH Denver already. They were at token 2049. They were in Singapore too. Um, so they already last year started to, uh, to make the, the global crypto tour. But this year they're doing it more ambitiously, and uh, there's side events that are you can feel they are more ambitiously built with with hackathons, with prizes. Um, you see the fact that Multiverse X is now 
you know, official partners. So in Dubai, they, they have announced that they've been, they will be platinum, Multiverse X will be platinum partner in, in Paris. Um, Exportal is the official wallet. So this shows that, you know, the Multiverse X team must think that it is now time to go full speed ahead um, to show that the infrastructure is ready for um, mass adoption. And I, uh, um, Martino, can you hear us? Hello. Yes. He Hello, Martino. Very happy to have you this morning. Um, before we t we start the interview with you, and uh, I, I would like to know what is your take on sovereign shards. Um, is, do you have anything related with sovereign shards with uh, I don't know with X money, uh, X money crypto? Uh, because I mean, you guys are um, you know you're handling crypto payments and payments at large, so most likely this could be an interesting infrastructure for you. No. Um, yes, there, there could be benefits on this, but at the end of the day, and that's, that's also why it made sense for us to um, be integrated within Multiverse X. We are not uh, a blockchain and we are not focused on the, on the blockchain part. So when it comes to uh, know-how and actually um, direct integrations on some of the more technical things, uh, that's where we directly will leverage the team from Multiverse X. Um, and and that's not something that we're currently um, keeping a close, like we are obviously keeping a close eye on, but we don't have any specific plans on how we can on X money specifically leverage um, that. But but yeah, um, so obviously this is um, these are all things that are needed to make the chains overall uh, better. Because again, and I think that's one of the things that we might end up discussing. Um, there's a lot of overall concerns and and challenges on uh, scalability and etc but yeah i don't have anything specific to to add here currently uh, within the part of x money at least okay okay thank you very much and i mean i i i know that you are you know you're a tech entrepreneur um you're most likely um looking at the crypto space as at a whole, do you have an opinion on on sovereign shards? Yeah, I think it's um, it's one of the many alternatives, but it's it's the I think it's one of the key ones that we're going to start seeing more and more. I think I agree with with GRM when he was saying it's starting to be the season of of sovereign shards to some degree, um, and uh, yeah, I. I don't have a particular concerns um, other than just watching how it plays out uh, in terms of the different implementations of sovereign shards throughout. Um, but it's uh, one thing that I, I find a bit odd. It's, it's that though we are calling it sort of a new technology, it's it's an old concept again, right? So we have been hearing about sovereign shards for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, it's true that. Uh... Sovereign shards has been they have been spoken about for for years now by the multiverse X team, but the the whole um, parallel parallelization uh, of of transaction it's something that is being done in Web two to scale uh, infrastructure, so it's not new in 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 the, the the core concept. 
but it is new to implement it in um, in the crypto space. So definitely interested as everyone here to see how all this uh, unravels over the year. Uh, I've I've had a quick look in the chat. There's there's no questions about sovereign shards. I mean, if you guys have any questions or um, if you if you have a question to ask uh, and want to come up here and ask it vocally, please do so. Um, if not, we will start the next part of this space. Uh, that is the interview with Martino. Um, all right. Um, Philippe, you didn't uh, say anything. Do you want to? Uh, do you have something interesting to say to everybody about Sovereign Shards? Yeah, I can. I thought it's. it's uh, I mean, you actually make a really nice uh, explanation and description of Sovereign Shard. I mean, like the only thing maybe that I would like to add is like the projection of what would be the first Sovereign Shard. Uh, so, if I can extrapolate a little and uh, regarding what say uh, Joachim and what we we found on Twitter and on the documentation on the Agora. Uh, I guess the first the first orange shard would be the one for exporter uh, for the gamification. I mean, uh, it's something really important that they are talking since X World on the first X day. So I guess there is something really boiling on their side regarding that. And I think the sovereign shard, I mean, would be the technology that will allow them to have everything on chain. Uh, maybe that would be also, uh, I don't know who is validator in the audience, but um, they will be the phase four with a lot of maybe nodes that will be removed and maybe they will open some nodes on their own sovereign shard for the community. That's also a discussion that could be interesting. Um, but the first one would be, I guess, for exportal gamification to have on chain all the transactions for uh, the quest rewards, the daily rewards, the daily quest, um, and that all these things can be controlled under their hands. And maybe, maybe that's also possible. I don't know, maybe you, you can get that out of X money's guys, but uh, to 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 have all the information from bank, in fact, so all the all the IBAN, all the information. I don't know uh, how much um, anonymities we can put in the in the different because okay, so if we want to discuss five minutes more about that, a question that is interesting about sovereign chain is about uh, privacy of the of the visibility. So that means if I'm a company that I want to have my own sovereign shard to, to provide my own my service, okay, my services to, to the customers, let's think about a video game, I want also to have some, some capacities to manage data for my own companies. That could be internal documentation, signatures, a lot of things like that. But I don't want that the rest of the world see about it. So either I have private validator uh, or I have a whitelisted observing observing squad. So for the people that don't know, it's what allowed you to read the blockchain. Um, but I think all these different tools and all this configurability would definitely describe, in fact, uh, the the season of the sovereign charge season that Jiren talked about. And, um, and but there is a lot of interrogation right now that we don't know. I mean, so like say, Jerem, uh, I invite everyone here to, to write questions in the, in the comments uh, regarding Sovereign Shard, even like anything that go through their mind. And we try to, to put that all together to have a right, nice discussion with Sasu and try to describe that a little more. But um, if we look at the timing and if we think that they will release something before Denver, probably we'll have more information before, before that. So, so yeah. But uh, I think we'll have a lot of discussion regarding Sovereignty in the coming uh, comings days, coming uh, coming during uh, MBX and everything. Um, but uh, yeah, gamification, I guess, will be the first one with Exportal, the, uh, the avatars, like all these things together under their control. And probably maybe more with the bank account, the IBAN and all this information. 
Okay, thanks, Philippe. Uh, Joachim, you want to react to what Philippe said? Yeah, just quickly, because then I, I know uh, we have Martinho as interview who's scheduled for now, so I don't want to postpone it any longer. But uh, you're absolutely right, uh, Philippe. I think pr privacy and not privacy in the style Monero, etc., in the style of, uh, well, GDPR, just like if we think about GDPR in Europe, which has been a very big thing, uh, it makes using a public uh, ledger nearly impossible. The, it's actually a challenge we've been working with uh, on Gapa Labs. We're uh, we're hashing quite a lot of the information um, to ensuring that it can't be read unless you have the right uh, the rights to it. But that is also something that w I think, as you said, would need to be on protocol level, like a layer of privacy that companies can use. So because. If they, in the end, if they run um, a private blockchain as a servant shard, it's great, it's still progress, but it's a private blockchain. And I feel like it kills one of the main purposes of um, the web free vision. I won't say blockchain vision because blockchain is just a tool, but the web free vision of a lot of more uh, transparency. And as you said, like export is probably going to be one of the first servant shards. We saw Martin, you said that. Uh, as of now, X money. I'm not sure if that was both X money crypto and X money fiat, uh, but not looking into servant shards in the immediate future, which is uh, very interesting to know. But we already have some actors like Wondex and um, uh, the Midas chain that have also said they would be launched a servant shard. I would be a bit uh, manage my expectations when it comes to the servant shard season, because as we've just discussed, there is uh, not that much documentation for validators, but even builders on what can be built and how to build it today. So we might see like a few seven shards and then a period of, I don't want to say science, but of like no new seven shards arriving while other projects catch up and get access to further documentation and then um, catching up on, I won't say the delay, um should launch there so i feel like it's going to be two times it's going to be like some that have already gone through the githubs and spent countless hours uh, trying to understand every single bit of um the repository which is already live uh and the ones launched by mvex and self and then a little break and then we'll finally have like maybe um projects from other chains coming to mvx uh or other projects Yes, yes. I think you, you, you touched something about the, the, the blockchain uh, ethos and, you know, the, the, the purpose of decentralization and openness and transparency. Um, in the end, we know how the world works. And, um, you know, let's not be... Uh, if we want to completely smash how the world works... Um, it's very unlikely that this technology is going to be um, adopted worldwide. So I would, I would say, and you know, sometimes we, we have different opinions, Joachim. I would say that what is good is that um, sovereign shards offer agility. So tomorrow you have very, um, uh, you have industries that have to be very compliant uh, in regulatory mean. Um, those those can can play with the technology and leverage it to uh, to transform the way they work. 
um, and and some 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 industries that can be a bit more can benefit from being more opened, they can also do that. So that's exciting. Um, regarding the adoption of the technology, it's going to take a long time. Uh, that's why I, I, most likely the Multiverse X team is starting right now in Denver, where you have a lot of builders, a lot of the engineers and developers there, so they can start discovering and hearing about uh, sovereign shards. But it's going to take years. I mean, of course, people within the Multiverse X ecosystem, they know about sovereign shards. Most likely engineers are going to deep dive into them. But for the rest of the, the, the current uh, builders in, in all of crypto, for the builders to come, uh, it's going to take years. So sovereign shard will have to be pitched and pitched and pitched uh, year after year after year. Um, all right, thank you, thank you guys, thank you, thank you Joachim, thank you Rock, uh, Philip, Martino also for for talking about sovereign shards. It's as you said, it's an interesting topic, and we're going to cover it m even more in the future um, as it's going to to play a, a big role in multiverse sex scalability. So now let's jump into our uh, second part, and today we have the pleasure of having Martinho Aragao, who's the lead and CPO for X-Money Crypto. Uh, Martinho, how are you today? Very good. Thank you. And thank you for having me as well. Awesome. That's, uh, that's a real pleasure. Uh, you already jumped in, um, I think it was two weeks ago, um, for the Liechtenstein, after the Liechtenstein announcement, two weeks or three weeks ago. Time flies. Yeah, I don't even know as well. It's everything is happening all the time, but probably about three <laughs> weeks. Okay, um, so you came in to uh, to 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 talk about um, about this this achievement, but today is different. Today, um, it's about you uh, more. It's about uh, your role at uh, X Money, and then. Um, if you're free to answer a few questions, um, we'd love to talk about X Money a bit more in depth about the, the payment industry, about I don't know, um, entrepreneurship and crypto and more. So, if you could start, what would be Martino's journey? If you had to, you know, talk to us about where you come from, um, your expertise, uh, companies you worked in before X Money. Sure. So I'm going to be basically talking about what's on LinkedIn uh, to some degree, um, which is fine as well. So I started in software engineering. So I have a master's degree in software engineering. Um, and throughout the years, it was mostly through internships and et cetera, during the course of the software engineering degree, both bachelor's and master's. I was jumping into different companies, um, even started, actually, my first internship was um in marketing on a bank uh which is odd especially when you are finishing the first year of software engineering um and then i i was in like three different startups uh, two in lisbon one in london um i'm, I'm portuguese so most of the time in, i'm in portugal and i'm still based in portugal but uh, last for example the last one was secretscapes and i was in whole 19 as well so different types of startups in very uh, different spaces um, and in those I, I was a software engineering uh, software engineer uh, at some point as well I 
I what, yeah. what type of software engineer are you? Are more a back-end, front-end? Or... So as I'm talking about the journey from and including internships, um, it, it depended on the time. So usually it's easier to start with front-end, and that's where I started. So on the first internship, I, I was a front-end implementing React. React was a new technology, or it was something that was not very well known at the time. Um, when I started implementing, moving an entire website to React, and now React and React Native, they are far more advanced than they used to be. And then afterwards, when I was in Secret Skips, I was more in backend, actually touching on some security topics because there were some security concerns on, on the website at the time that I was meant to help solve. So, so yeah, I since then, it's been already a few years, so I haven't touched much, but I usually prefer more the challenges of backend. Trying to align something... Uh, in height uh, is absolutely shit in HTML. So, um, so yeah, it's not a pleasure for me. Uh, I'm also red colorblind, so it also doesn't help uh, if I don't have a proper designer which has the hexadecimals. So again, another reason for that. And I'm a terrible person drawing overall. So front end is not my fault for sure. Um, in university, I actually did, like, when in master's, we needed to choose topics to specialize in. And I chose what was AI, sort of, but that was not the name um, that they used. And also business intelligence a bit. So, so yeah, those were the things I was looking more into and experimented a bit with machine learning and stuff um, back then. But throughout that period, I always was in... Um, like leadership positions for type of events or student organizations and, and all that jazz. And I was able to, even on those companies, identify that I never wanted just to solve a technical challenge. I always wanted to understand a lot what was the business needs and what were the needs of the clients um, and connect these, these different areas, whether it was marketing or finance or um, business. So I always wanted to be sort of in the middle of that. So I figured out that, okay, maybe product management is a thing that I'm more interested in. And so I set upon, I need to, to try this out because I saw some product managers in some of the companies I was in, like, hmm, this looks interesting because they're involved in any decision of what's being done. They just don't need to dive into how technically it's going to be solved. Um, and that's where I started. So I reached out to someone who put me into Utrust. Um, so I started experimenting product management in Utrust. And yeah, you, that's that's going to go into the second So you said, to, you said to me that you, you joined Utrust after the ICO, right? Yes. So I joined in July so 2018. Okay. Um, okay. Awesome. And so, how how has been the transition from being, you know, a software engineer to being into product now? Mm -hmm. It's to me, it was very organic. Um, I think it's far more challenging if you are like ten years as a software engineer and then you need to shift because you still have a, you're going to have a lot of biases on on how to deal with people. Because the main thing about the product manager is that you don't, you're not in charge of other people. So you're not person managing the software engineers. You're not a person managing business. You're not managing anyone. You're 
someone needs to facilitate and help people reach alignment and decisions. And, and because I didn't have that 10 years in one specific role or as a manager, I always needed to play around getting precisely this type of alignment. Um, it was obviously challenging in some things and beneficial in others. So I could, and I still can quite a few times, identify where the technical issues are and let people know what should be the best approach uh, on how to tackle that. Um, and that started early on as well. But but it was a easy one for me because again I always had an interest in those er those other areas and I always was exploring those other areas. What was marketing about? What was business about? What were the finance needs? So it, it was being in that middle position was comfortable, was challenging for sure. But it was what I felt like I could use all my skills and interests uh, because if today I need to needed to jump entirely just to understanding what type of, who are the users and what do they need, then I could do that and I would love to do that. Uh, but if the next day I need to go into deep accounting and finance and how we report this information, I love that as well. I love jumping into Excel. So it's it's that middle ground um, where everything is, is nice and fun um, and there's always something fresh. Uh, and it's not that software engineering is not, it's fantastic as well. Uh, it just, for me personally, being in a more broad position was something that was always interesting. Yeah, I'm, um, we can see that the role of product managers over the last 10 years in, um, in, in, in tech companies has grown a lot. Uh, now they're some sort of the, you know, um, quarterbacks or number eight if you're if you're a football fan you know in the middle of the company and an align aligning business decisions with product um, they play a key role so to 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 transition to um towards x money uh and your specific role you arrived now six years ago almost most likely at at um what was you trust and then you you were there for all the um, all the adventure from Utrus transitioning into uh, the Elrond ecosystem, and then Multiverse X, and then becoming X Money. Uh, and most likely, you didn't arrive as a CPO, so you you grew with the with the company, and now you are the lead and uh, chief product officer for X Money. Can you tell tell us more about? your role what is what is it that you do um what is what is your objective what are your your core your key missions sure so at the end of the day the easiest way to describe my current role is that i'm the person in charge of x money crypto um so obviously my focus is more on the product side of things we still have a cfo we still have a coo but i'm the one connecting all of them uh, together to multiverse x as well so it doesn't make sense in this in this way to describe me as a CEO in the perspective that we are a branch within a bigger company. Um, and that's why we didn't just, okay, let's call me CEO just for the sake of it. But that's why executive lead, because chief executive officer, it's chief executive lead. It ends up being almost the same thing. Internally, it's it's like I'm the person in charge of it. I'm the person in charge of, of the branch within uh, X Money Crypto. Um, it means that on my day to day, I need to do the same things that I used to do 
as a product manager specifically, which is to be in that middle ground and connect a different area. But the main difference is that I manage people directly, which is not the case with product managers, and that I'm more in charge of strategy of the overall company, which is also not the case necessarily with PMs, where they will be showing what's the best path towards the goal, but I'm the one defining the goals. Um, and and so my day-to-day -day shifts a lot with what are the current concerns and needs and what we might need to look for within next challenges, always diving a bit on, on risk and legislations overall as well. So that's where I'm I'm my role is currently. And in the beginning, I was an intern. So I joined basically as an intern in 2018. So it's, it's a significant shift. It's a, it's a brilliant trajectory too. I mean, um, it's, it's not something that you see uh, very often. Um, I mean, it's uh, going from intern to, uh, to acting lead, uh, CEO, whatever we call it is a great achievement. So congrats. And especially because the, the, the company has, has grown so much. No, when, when you joined the company, when it was Utrust, how many people were there working there and how, how is the team today? Mm -hmm. I think this, this part is, is also unique and interesting because it, it goes into at least my perspective of what ICOs mean and meant. Um, ICOs meant that very quickly, some projects that didn't have a lot of backbone were able to get a lot of financing without having a clear market fit and etc. And so it meant that on July 2018, I don't know by necessarily ex exactly what was the number, but it's possible that we were like 40 and we are now like 30. So, uh, and because you could suddenly hire a lot and you could also leverage from consulting companies to build things um, and start working towards a solution to a problem. But this hides a bit the fact that I was one of the, I don't know, probably like four people hired specifically for engineering and product. Um, because the, the thing was that the company was uh, using a subcontracted company that were 100% within uh, the space of Utrust. And just them were like 15 or something like that within the, the company. So if you start adding into these these parts, um, then it, it doesn't feel like it's that transition that you described where it was small and now it's big. Obviously, we now process a lot. We have real clients and et cetera. And in 2018, we didn't. We only started, we only launched in 2019. So actually for a year, there were no clients. And despite the fact that there were no clients, there were um, like five people in sales. Uh, so, uh, and now we have three. So it's, it's, it's very different and it's not that decisions were wrongly taken back then, but I think it's the precedence of, uh, and like usually you need to scale in terms of investment where you build something, you try to get 100K, which is like a pre-seed and then you start building more and getting some clients and then you might get the seed stage and then you might go into series A, series B and et cetera. And instead you had ICOs, which could get like series B type of money without having nothing. And and the way that they would build from that is, well, I believe it was without precedent. But yes, right now we 
Um, comparing to the 2019, um, we have a lot of processes, we have a lot of work, there's a lot of clients, there's a lot of things that we know that we need to do and things that um, we, we believe that are the best paths moving forward, but we might not have the time. Um, and and it, I, I'd say that the main difference is we have real users and we are solving a real problem. And before we had a belief that we had a real problem to solve but we actually didn't have yet. And we didn't know exactly what type of people wanted to um, accept crypto payments. Um, so that's the... Uh, All right, that's a good transition <laughs> to... That's a good transition um, to, to, to X money. Uh, you, you're talking about real clients, real problems that you're solving. Um, if, if you could explain here very quickly, what is X money? What is your number one goal? Uh, by by actually saying what is the, pro the, the the main problem that you're solving for people who don't know about X money? Sure. So X money is like the bridge between the crypto world and the fiat world, um, and that means that X money can provide different services. The main one that X money crypto has been providing, and the one that you trust was building upon, is a crypto payment solution where businesses can accept crypto payments without much of the hassle and receive um, euros in their bank account. It also means that because we are sort of the bridge between crypto and fiat, we can help in X portal together with the X money fiat part and do things like on-ramp and top-ups for the card and et cetera. So, so that's, that's where we are. We are a bridge between the crypto and fiat world. Um, okay, super clear. Um... So a, payments and crypto and, and, and payments in crypto, um, I would say it, it's what's, it is the use case that started the whole story. You know, it started with a white paper saying uh, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. Um, so where are we now with payments in crypto? Um, how has it grown and how do you see it growing in the future? Yes, yeah, so I, we're going to go into a lot of hypotheses and, and perspectives, I think. And it's all, that's very, very interesting. Um, one of which is the assumption that um, like Bitcoin as it started was a peer-to-peer cashless system. It has a lot of assumptions behind it. It has assumption that Bitcoin is going to be treated just like cash. And... Can we consider that Bitcoin is currently just like cash? That is a question on its own that will differ by person, specifically by area, jurisdiction or geography or culture, perhaps, uh, where in some cases you still see euros, USD and other currencies as king. And uh, in other places, maybe Bitcoin is more safe. Um, and that has a, a lot of things behind the scenes in what that actually means. But I still think that despite the fact that there's a lot of evolutions, a lot of things that have been improving, especially on other chains, um, other than Bitcoin, obviously. And despite all of that, when we go into an explorer, we still see what is the meaning of the amount of Bitcoin into USD or into euros. Um, we still associate what is the current value of Bitcoin. Uh, it's very, very, very uncommon for someone to say, okay, I'm going to do this service to you and you're going to pay me 0.5 Bitcoins. Um, it's still going to be something more along the lines, this service costs 30K, uh, you can pay in Bitcoins. And 
this whole assumption and how it delved uh, means that perhaps the way that blockchains were built and not the way that they were built, but the way that they are, um, it, it means that they themselves are not just a cash system as they are currently because the currencies that we see as fiat, they have a different perspective than we do the ones from crypto, even from an, just an investment perspective. We all see um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, e-gold as currencies for investment, but we very, very few of us see euros or dollars as a currency for investment. We can understand that they might be, but not many people enter into Forex, for example. So it means that currencies are different and that the systems to make them, to transact them, are different. Now, clearly what we are able to do now with blockchains like Multiverse X is that a lot of information, a lot of differences can happen, but um, still there, there is a need to have this sort of bridge between different currencies that you locally might need and there's like six different fiat currencies or 70. I, I don't know by heart how many they are. And you always associate with one as the base, uh, as the local currency, as the one that you're used to and that you understand the value of things based on that currency. And it's not the case with Bitcoin and eGold. Like, I don't know if this TV is worth 0.5 something, um, but I, I know that it is worth... Uh, 400 euros or something. So, so yeah, the, the evolution is very interesting, but the, the assumption and the principle um, as how Bitcoin white paper was about it being a cash system, it had assumption that Bitcoin would be on the same place as euros and dollars uh, in how we perceived it. And right now, for most people, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, it's a very interesting perspective that you bring here because um, everybody had the assumption from the beginning, as you said, that Bitcoin could be everything, everything that we need, you know, uh, our day-to-day -day transacting way of transacting and exchanging value, um, a store of value too. But the, the simple truth is that we, we already have a way of transacting value daily and we have store of values and they're not the same so stating that bitcoin could be both um is is quite bold and and you're i mean time has proven you right the the way bitcoin is today perceived is more as a store of value uh than a way to transact in a daily way so my my follow up question to you on this, and 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 I assume that X Money Crypto wants to play a role. Um, why is it that putting payments on crypto rails is an upgrade from the legacy system? Yeah. So the main thing is the number of intermediaries that exist. Um, so whenever you do a payment in some place. Um, let's say e-commerce, for example, and you go into a website um, and you choose Stripe. Actually, you didn't choose Stripe, but the business chose Stripe and you're going to be paying in Stripe. Um, they sometimes might give you options. And then you use your card, a card which was emitted by your bank, but is part of a network. And when you do the payment, the amount that the business receives is significantly less, like 
a lot less. Percentage-wise, it can go as low as 7% less. So that's 7% in fees that it might be charged. And blockchain, when, when it comes into it, is by default very transparent. <laughs> Sorry yep. to interrupt you. Could you do the breakdown with with the seven percent? It's because yep. you you talked about a, a few intermediaries. I, I'm sure it's interesting to see the breakdown. Yeah, I I don't have it here very clear. I think we did a, an article ballpark. Yes. <laughs> so it depends a lot on on what type of currency you're using. But let's say that locally you have pesos uh, on your card, and so what it's going to mean is that there's going to be an exchange rate, and on the exchange rate there's going to be a spread. So when you're talking about it uh, in this sense, this is going to be Stripe or PayPal. If it's PayPal, the exchange rate that they're using can have spread, I believe, of up to like 33%. Then by default, there's going to be the service fee of the payment can go uh, from 0.5 into like 3%, depending on the currency that you're talking about, depending whether it's a debit card, whether it's a credit card, and then Visa on its own might take uh, a small percentage as well. So again, this is a very ballpark scenario, but it comes into these from exchange rates, from risk scenario, because for example, there's a lot of situations where credit cards, uh, they don't know what's the value that you currently have on the bank because transactions might be happening simultaneously. Like for sure, everyone here has done uh, to some degree a transfer and the transfer on the bank didn't show as out of the balance. It showed as pending. Um, so there's a significant amount of money that is pending. And so if it's pending, it might be cancelled. If it can be cancelled, then um, which one takes priority? Is it a transaction that the bank initiated or a transaction that you did with the card on Stripe? Um, so because there's so many different intermediaries here or so many different entities, the fact that there are so many entities also means that um, the, that there are so many entities also mean that the need for alignment on each of these um, areas makes it more complex because you don't have a common language uh, in many cases. It's still, I think now in Europe, there's there's been a reduction on that, but until very recently, they almost sent like PDF or Excel files between banks to reconcile transactions. Um, so... If we're talking about five different entities and five different entities that need to have the same way of sharing and ordering transactions, that is blockchain. Blockchain is doing that. Um, blockchain is implementing that by default in a way that doesn't give anyone too much power and ensures that transactions are uh, correct and the right order and that there's no mismatch of information. And that's not the case with these intermediaries. And But at the same time, the fact that there are so many means that any solution locally you are able to make payments for. So you can go to a bank anywhere and they are going to be able to initiate a payment through that. Um, and that's not necessarily the case with blockchain because though within the blockchain we have just one language, we don't have between different blockchains and we don't have with fiat world, uh, which is a core part as well. So um, so yeah, those the that's, that's a key part of one of the differences and advantages of blockchain versus the payment ones. But just to also clarify one thing, it's this is a this this is one of the very big challenges that I believe we face when it comes to blockchain payments, is that uh, the fees are also put into the person that is going to be making the payment. We call them the buyers uh, because you need to do the mining fee, 
you need to pay the transaction fee overall, not necessarily the mining fee, but you need to pay the transaction fee. And when you pay for something in any website, you don't pay anything. So if you want to buy something 100 euros worth, you're going to buy it 100 euros worth. The one it loses is the business. But that's not the case with Bitcoin. So if you want to use Bitcoin or Ethereum and or you want to use UTK in, in ERC-20, um, you want to make a payment of 200 euros, you're going to be paying 20 on top of that. And then the business also needs to get a service fee for us to convert and then send to the bank. And that makes it more challenging because why are you going to be spending money in groceries? Why are you going to be buying a Lego if you're going to be paying 20 euros on top or 10 euros on top on some of the most popular chains? Uh, with the most volume and most transacted volume. Um, so that's that, that's one of the core challenges that I see in small value payments on the blockchain. And is there um, solutions that you see or that you foresee that are coming to solve this, this, this problem? Um, yeah, so I think one of the conversations that we're having, whether it's sovereign shards or or others about scalability, they, they're going to be interesting. In case of sovereign shards, in the meantime, I, I remembered a few things that could be interesting. Maybe we can talk about that later. But uh, the fact that the technology overall is evolving, for example, Ethereum has a roadmap to evolve, to increase number of transactions that they can process to lower fees. That helps. It helps the fact that any chain is constantly evolving, except basically Bitcoin, but all of them are evolving and making it easier. That's one of the things. Another part is if more there's more know-how about blockchain and crypto for businesses, then they might be more comfortable in lowering their prices uh, because though so if they are paying not 7%, but they are paying 1%, instead of charging 100 euros, maybe they could charge 99. And that might help on people initiating payments on, on on that because they are still going to benefit from it in terms of the percentage of payments. So that's another part that could help um, when it comes to it. So there's, there's different things here that um, I believe are going to be helpful. So if businesses are more aware about crypto, if um, we also have better solutions in terms of blockchains, if we have a better combined alignment or communication language between chains, that would be helpful. That's not necessarily needed, but it would be helpful. We see that more and more through bridges, but why couldn't a bridge have something which is more, if bridges themselves are more optimized and scalable and you could almost do um, a transaction between two or three chains and just go through bridges to do that, for example. So there might be ways of doing that. I don't think that's the core part or what's going to be the main solution, but but they're having a common language instead of fighting because at the end of the day, we're all fighting for attention. Uh, we are all competitors within different blockchains. And if we're all struggling to try to onboard businesses and projects on different platforms and blockchains, the technology them itself gets diluted because we're not progressing the, block, the, the technology, we're progressing the communities. And it's fully understandable. That's how capitalism works to some degree. But it sort of also breaks into what Web 2 actually was, or Web 1 actually was, which you had some protocols. There's the HTML 
um, as a language, but like IP um, protocols and etc. So there's there's different things that were established. The TCP/IP type of communication. There were protocols that everyone adopted, and then you could build different things on top of that. And when it comes to blockchain, we don't quite have that, uh, which makes this part more challenging. But this is sort of a idealistic perspective that I I don't think is going to happen. But it it could be that you'd get 10 of the top players to align on some things that would make it easier to work across different chains. And that would be absolutely brilliant. I don't think it's likely to happen, but it would be very interesting. And the last yeah, thing... Yeah. You know, when you see the breakthroughs with uh, ZK technology, that could be the, 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 the magic language that aligns everybody you're talking about. I mean, it's it's still going to take a few years for ZK to to become broadly used across all blockchain networks. But uh, it looks like the one technology to prove transactions and to prove actions that had occurred on, on several networks that everybody seems to align mm -hmm. on. So it, it could be interesting. It, it could be. And um, I think if blockchains become more and more used across businesses, it's likely that regulation will force it. Um, because that's what happens in many different areas. Like if you talk about IoT, we already have some protocols between different uh, different cases. And yeah, there's there's different. Like the currently the EU for is forcing the top messaging apps to be able to communicate between each other as well. So if at if we don't align between each other on our own, then if blockchain is going to become as used as we want it to be, then regulations will force to be more communication lines between some of these players as well. Yes, yes. I completely agree with you on that one. You you talked about um, one hurdle, struggle, challenge that you, you, you have. Um, what are X-Money you know, day-to-day -day, uh, challenges, struggles that you guys have to overcome to achieve um, your goals. And and even before talking about that, what is your, what is the goal? What are your goals? I mean, do you have a key metric that you guys are looking at uh, that make you proud or shows that you're advancing towards, um, mm -hmm. you know, conquering the market? Sure. So... Um, it's we currently have a very very clear goal, which is achieving profitability. Um, right now, we are not profitable, and that has been okay until now, because the goal has been to scale, get more businesses, and etc. Not so much into worrying about how much profitable we could be. Um, but if you understand that we are charging one percent for settlements to businesses, and we are we have until very recently accepted payments of 20 euros in bitcoin uh, then think about how much we are paying for moving the funds of a hot wallet into the exchange so that on its own it's gone it's it's, it's not gone the profit it's like twice the cost. It doesn't make sense whatsoever and that is understandable why coinbase payments just now disable Bitcoin. They are not accepting Bitcoin for payments anymore. That's one of the reasons. The second one is that it takes one hour, one hour in some cases. There's very often cases where one block takes one hour. And that means a lot if you're locking an exchange rate. So if you're asking, you can you need to say send this amount for this exchange rate. 
and then it takes one hour for you to receive those funds. Um, so <laughs> these, these are some of the parts where it's very challenging. So currently the goal is becoming profitable. To become profitable, there are secondary KPIs, one of which is clearly on the number of active businesses, on the number of, on the TPV amounts as well. So how much we are able to process in terms of total payment volume. That's one of the second ones. Another one that we want to make it very clear, and we don't quite have a very easy metric to track on this, is the happiness of clients. So one of the ways that we are picturing this is on businesses, how quickly the funds get into their bank account. On buyers, uh, it's more tricky, but currently the easiest way would be on what's the percentage of successful happy flow payments, where there's no need for overpayments and the payments, refunds and all that sort of jazz and how quickly they also are able to proceed. So these are some of the metrics towards achieving profitability because to achieve profitability, there's many actions that need to be taken, but still requires more growth. And achieving profitability also means that the model for UTK economics becomes more, makes more sense because if you're able to at some point uh, leverage UTKs as reward mechanisms and etc. It only makes sense if the company is profitable. And I believe that's been one of the issues of many crypto companies that went through ICO is that they didn't care about profitability anymore. And when business started to becoming, uh, suddenly the business started growing a lot with a lot of volume and they didn't have the capability of turning into profit. Now, we were able to extend the amount of time that we could not be profitable for, thanks to Multiverse Tech supporting the growth. Uh, but right now, that's that's the the one goal that we have. The very clear goal that we have for these years to become profitable. All right. Um, I let uh, Joachim carry on. I, I know he has a, a couple more questions to to ask, and um, so yeah, go on, Joachim. Yeah. So the I honestly have to say I'm very impressed by your transparency uh, in uh, communicating how, like the challenges and the vision of uh, uh, X Money Fiat. It's uh, crypto. Sorry. It um, it really shows your uh, your passion and interest for 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 this, the payment systems and how we can improve them through crypto. Um, so. I guess I guess those decisions were taken uh, well before you you were uh, in your position as you are today. But how would you say the road of the token, the UTK, has been through obviously the launch, then the migration to uh, Multiverse X, and then obviously we've seen the tokenomics 2.0 and 3.0, I believe. So could you tell a bit about the like the evolution of the token uh, through the company? Sure. So we've always struggled with um, positioning UTK within the goals that we have in the sense that we always understood that we need to make sure that everyone we invested, and that includes as well ourselves, so any employee and etc., but that everyone could benefit from the token situation, from the token benefits and everything. But at the same time, connecting that with the, our goals as a business of crypto payments. So unlike uh, when it comes to some projects about, like it's it's a double-edged sword to some degree. So 
if you consider projects of crypto payments that don't have tokens, they cannot leverage the token, but at the same time, they don't need to, they can base their decisions only on the market conditions, on the market decisions, on the business decisions. In our case, we've always struggled in the sense that sometimes we know that we could do this, which is great for the token, but might not be worth it for the business and vice versa sometimes. So when it comes to token situations, um, there's there's not a direct translation from business success. We could have a very, very successful business, and that doesn't mean that we have a very, very successful token. Um, and, and that's always why it's been something that has been a struggle to do it between both. Um, but the evolution has been on trying to connect it more and more to the business success. So that's that's why the proposal of UTK 3.0 is something that that's considered that we have some people which are just investors. And that was not something that was believed when it was white paper and when it was UTK 2.0. Um, it was not that we might have some people which are just investors. They're not buyers, they're not businesses, they're investors. And all they want to do is make sure that they're investing on this and that they're getting benefits from it, that they're getting money from it, that it's uh, something that's worth it to invest on. Um, but then we might have some business and then we might have some buyers. And for a long time, we believe that, I think we believe that everyone who invested in UTK was going to be a business or was going to be a buyer. But that's also why before I was mentioning that the, um, the challenges of what it means to be, um, of what actually buyers are or what actually payments are in the sense that what was believed were going to be payments and frequency is not necessarily the case right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I've, as you said, like I think it's uh, it's something a lot of projects are experiencing that there is a difference between the use case you wanted the token to have and how it is perceived by um, just investors that are looking for uh, like a return on investment. And before you joined, uh, well, before you became part of Multiverse X, um, I believe you just had acquired HODL and the HODL app that had its own payment cards and allowed users to store, um, well, cryptocurrencies from, I want to say, all kind of networks. How have you felt like you've lost some some of the users through that migration to having your own wallet that was cross-chain to migrating to MVX that as of now um, still focuses mainly on one network? Um, so for a, a bit, we lost the, um, the staking part from what I recall. So we, because we had a reverse staking sort of mechanism, and then we started having the meta staking and the meta bonding instead on multiverse X. Um, we didn't lose, um, like when it comes to the card, for example, uh, we could consider that we lost the mechanisms and the benefits of it, but it's more that we were able to split responsibilities. And so when it comes to managing the card, now we have Exportal. So instead of why are we building a wallet when Exportal is a lot more than just a wallet, when with the card we can do a lot more. And on our side, we can focus on growing businesses more and we can 
focus on this transition real quick between crypto and fiat. The trades between those things exist on X exchange and etc. So it's more that maybe there was a period uh, between when there was a loss of functionality, but because we are already aware of what was the goal and what was meant to exist. But afterwards, um, it's more that we, as a group, we have a lot more and we can be more focused on what we are best at. Um, and that's why I think we didn't quite uh, lose in any sense. And instead, as a group, we're able to do even more. Quick last um, question. Mark. I see, Arno, you raised your hand. I just want to keep going on this. Uh, because yeah, you, you you talked about the card, and I did some digging before uh, before today, and I believe that uh, HODL and then Utrus uh, was using the Solari group uh, for the for the cards, if I'm not wrong. Um, would you say it has allowed a lot more flexibility to move from Solaris to, as you were saying, uh, X Money Fiat? Um, I, I was not as much in, in depth into uh, hold as a hold as a wallet um, in and how it was built. I, I know some senses, but mostly some things were also subcontracted. And in the sense that it was not the engineering team directly on our side, but it was something that was coordinated with something something else to the point that HODL existed before us, right? So it was an application that already existed and then it became integrated into us. And if we look back into the history, actually what happened was that Utrust had um, a wallet. So we, we built a wallet that was more integrated with the payment experience. So it was a wallet where if you made a payment, you could see in the re in the information there, okay, this was a payment, this was a refund. Uh, you couldn't trade between currencies, but it was easier to make payments from that wallet. Uh, so though we were wallet agnostic, though we accepted any single exchange, any single wallet, if you used our application, then you had the history of transactions. Uh, and the point was to use it as a wallet is meant to be. So not necessarily um, as a, a decentralized bank account where you can have a shit ton of funds, just somewhere where you could have like 200 euros and then you're going to be using that to make payments. And that was in 2020 when due to the pandemic, we had some reductions of um, costs and how we could proceed in terms of budget together with when Sanya became CEO. So Sunny became CEO, we need to revise some things. That was also the moment I entered into the leadership team. And we decided to cut um, the wallet because we didn't make sense for us to be building a platform at the same time as we needed to have mobile wallet developers to build an application. And so a few weeks or months afterwards, we were able to close uh, a situation of bringing hold wallet, which already existed into the fold of Utrust, and uh, together with that, add just the reverse staking mechanism to make it an incentive for people to lock their funds by staking. Uh, and now, instead of putting that into the vault of X-Money, X-Portal as a main wallet, and then the credit card through the Bank of Romania part of the X-Money fiat, uh, it overall means that we can do even more. And that's something that was also announced on, uh, as we have been talking about on X-Day and et cetera, that there's more things that we can now do 
thanks to the fact that there's an actual uh, license that enables a lot of uh, solutions regarding fiat that we have as well obtained a license within uh, the crypto part in Portugal and together these two things allow a lot more. But sorry, I, I went back into, into how things proceeded because I think that was interesting because we're talking about three different applications, uh, the Utrust wallet and hold, and then finally the export of with the card as well. Yeah, but I, I think it's great that we digged into that because, as you say, like it shows the evolution based on, well, the needs of your users, but also the evolution uh, of you as a company. So I, I think it's great. And seeing it, every, everything kind of makes sense in how Exportal is built now. Um, Marquinho, you talked about the synergies between um, X-Money Fiat and X-Money Crypto. Uh, can you tell us more about uh, those two companies being, uh, you know, two pillars of, of one big X-Money ensemble? Sure. So I, I think this is as, has clearly, I think, for everyone, and that's why I'd rather be transparent um, in, in these things. It's always been, to some degree, a struggle as well that we talk about X money, that X money is a brand, and then very often you still see two separate people and you still see fiat and crypto um, as being separated. And I describe and I come here more talking about the crypto part than not so much so about the fiat part. Um, and there's a reason for that as well. So not there, there's clearly not, it's not something that we are happy doing, that it makes everything easier. No, it's part of the... Uh, separation of concerns and needs uh, between um, the requirements of the licenses. So X-Money Fiat, for example, uh, needs to um, have some regulations that enable them to use uh, cards. So just process cards. Um, I actually forgot what's the um, protocol or the legislation name for that. But it means that even just how they clock in, clock out of the office is different from how we can do it. The requirements of formation and that they need to process through a few things to do that is different from what we do because we don't have access to people's funds or card information. You initiate the transfer to us. If you're processing cards, that's not the case. You're giving them your CVV and your numbers, so that has a lot of complications in mind. And together with that, accounting is something that very often is very local. Accounting is, so the finance teams wise, uh, it's something that the requirements of in Romania are very different from requirements in Portugal. How we report some information, it's very tricky. Um, so how we talk with these entities as well is different because you're not going to be having the same person uh, talking to the Bank of Romania and talking to the Bank of Portugal because very often they need to be people within that country. They need to be Romanian or Portuguese to do that as well. So Everything when it comes to this becomes more complicated. And so it has been a process uh, that we are more and more uh, combining these two different entities and finding what's the best way of operating because finance teams still will need to be localized. Uh, some people will still need to be localized, but in other parts, we can combine the efforts more. So as part of what was announced in terms of uh, accounts and et cetera, um, having a common KYB process of onboarding businesses 
that is something that we can do. That is something that we are currently working on. Um, so that when you onboard to, to one of these solutions, you can also onboard to the other. Um, but despite this, despite the fact that we are working towards combining and aggregating more and more these different entities, um, in the meantime, we are able to work and build on common projects. So exportal services of fiat and crypto, uh, which is the on-ramping to buy e-golds and also the cards and topping up with crypto and topping up with fiat, those are already a project where we are combining efforts. Uh, just like in some cases, we might be combining efforts with um, ex-exchange team or we might be combining efforts with exportal team for something specific to ex-money ex crypto. So it's part of this process because it's very nice to have uh, a common announcement where we align what's the brands of the different parts, and which is when it was announced that Multiverse X existed. But Multiverse X announcement was a very surprising announcement for many people. I don't think many people actually knew what was going to happen in terms of such a big, massive rebranding. And the implications of that is that I guarantee you that the... Um, <laughs> banks of Romania and Portugal were not aware about that because if you needed to go through them, you'd need to pass like six months before it was something that happened. So the process of handling this part of fiat, the fiat part, the legislations, the fintech part of things, we are a lot more, we have a lot more bottlenecks. Bottlenecks that are good to some degree because there are bottlenecks that enforce us to implement measures that protect consumers. Um, that's part of that, what it is. It's bureaucracy, it's annoying. Uh, sometimes it's outdated and um, not the best, but it was meant to be built in the sense that it protected consumers. Um, but because of that, it's, it's a path that takes far longer than all of us wished. It's a path that we're still doing, but still it meant that we could do more things. So having a license in, in Romania, having a license in Portugal, it meant that we could actually have more capabilities of doing things, whether it was the on-ramping and other things, it, it, will, it became far more possible to make this a reality that was stable and not the kind that you see in Binance, for example, where Binance had a card and then shut down the card. So that is the difference when it comes to it. So though it's not currently something that is very combined and easy to see X money as a one common product, it's one common brand, but it's still two somewhat separate teams, um, we are still able to pursue and get everyone in line and uh, aligned and get things done, basically. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for the transparency again. And yes, I, uh, I mean, Utrust and Twispay, they were two separate companies, two, two separate, two different cultures, because mainly, uh, I, I assume that in Utrust, you had mainly Portuguese people um as as you are in portugal whereas twispay is in romania so yeah it's basically two different entities having to work together towards a, a common goal um just um i have two more questions before we uh, we open up to community questions uh we already received a few community questions so guys and girls if if you have um if you have some questions don't hesitate to uh to uh, type them in the chat or just ask for the mic. Um, 
I will bring you up there. And then uh, once we have finished with the questions, you, you can ask yours to, to Martino. Um, you talked about regulatory compliance for TwistPay and for, um, for Utrust, for XMoney, Fiat and Crypto. Um, you obtained some licenses in, um, in, in Romania and in Portugal. How does this comply with the rest of uh, Europe? Do you have a hack to get into other countries because you, you are approved in European EU countries? Um, so, yeah, it depends. Uh, we actually have another license, which is, uh, we, we have one. It's not as uh, capable or doesn't have as many things, uh, which is the one in Estonia. It's actually the one that we're using for B2B payments currently in X-Money Crypto. Um, that one is, is not as supported for different countries. So that's why we currently cannot accept, um, actually, for a time, French businesses. Um, that's something that is uh, somewhat news, um, recent news, um, that we currently cannot onboard new uh, French businesses in um, into the crypto payments in uh, crypto payments. But that's a temporary thing. And why? Uh, first of all, because the license that we have in Portugal allows us to do that. Secondly, because the implementation of Mika, which is the regulation that's going to be entering into effect uh, by the end of the year until the mid next year. That's going to be um, enforcing common regulations on this throughout the European Union. And that means that then it's ported uh, towards the different ones in a way that's more aligned. While right now they can decide, okay, I'm Italy. And for Italy, if you want to do this, you need to also do this other thing, though you have a license. And at any point, they could decide one of those things. With Mika, that's going to be simplified. Not for us, because for us, it's going to be more bureaucracy and more challenges. And it's it's always annoying, because again, this goes back into the UTK versus business part. Whenever we're needing to do changes about regulations and implementing measures, sometimes that might mean two months, three months, where the community doesn't see us doing anything. And there's not much that we can share. Like we are following new regulations and implementing new measures that are enforced by regulations to keep operating. And what does that mean for UTK? Uh, it doesn't mean much. Like obviously, if UTK is more connected with success of the business, and if more TPV and more profit means more success for UTK, then that's less of a concern. But the way that it operated before, where we're going to be sharing a lot of features and a lot of things being added. If that doesn't translate into business, that doesn't benefit actually UTK. It just increases FOMO. Um, but even that, then it doesn't match because tomorrow we might get an email from a new regulation being forced and we need to implement it. And it's very, very annoying uh, because it's it's not the kind of thing that these countries have roadmaps on how they will implement some things where we can use that to predict our own roadmap. So. Just the fact that crypto world in itself is constantly changing and we always need to constantly be following crypto world, we always need to be following the legislation world. And so when we do these both things, it's very, very difficult to have a roadmap that that is is longer. Um, but yeah, that's. I think I might deviate a bit from the question. Uh, let me know if I didn't answer and I will try again. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's very clear. And it, that part is very interesting. We had... Um... We had a lawyer on another, sh uh, on another uh, GMMVX show, um, French lawyer, who helped also create the legislation for Monaco. 
uh, and who is actively working with um, you know web crypto crypto projects and companies to 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 become re- compliant uh, regulatory wise and and I mean the guy is is passionate about tech and and at the same time he's a lawyer and when he sees Mika he says this is uh i think his exact words were this is like a a law cathedral it's magnificent but it's so fucking complicated (laughs) and for businesses to 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 comply it's super costly he talked about 500k for a french business a year to comply and then the second year it's about the same amount to stay on top of the the evolution of the um, regulatory landscape. I mean, it sounds crazy. So, of course, when when you talk about those um, those challenges, I was I was a bit um, you know um, surprised that you didn't uh, talk about the regulatory challenge when when I asked you the question about your challenges uh, earlier on. Yeah, that that one I'm more used to. It's it's a day to day kind of thing. I, I already don't see it as a uh, a critical challenge. It it's just what it means to operate in in fiat to crypto world. <laughs> but yes, it's 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 tricky. It's tricky also when we need to align these different like the case I was explaining. X money fiat has different requirements than we do on our side. Um, actually, I think I remember the, the regulation, it's PCI DSS, that they need to, to implement for the cards part. And um, when we need to combine our needs with their needs, KYB and etc., that that makes it even more challenging. And then tomorrow it might change again. Um, so, so it's 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 fun, it's tricky, but it's it's part of what it means to try to make this bridge between crypto and fiat. And again, I, I it helps me to think that. Um, Though it's annoying, it's part of the requirement to make crypto more of a common or or more of a, a presence in our day-to-day in a way that doesn't do it like we currently have with all the bad impressions where well, with all the fraud, with all the... With all the risks, where everyone who thinks about crypto thinks, oh, I can make a lot of money, I want to understand about it. But at the same time, I've heard there's a lot of fraud, um, a lot of pyramid schemes and a lot of everything. And the fact that these regulations exist and they keep changing, they're doing so to try to avoid that. Obviously, with all the things in mind as well, all the intentions, but it helps me to think that the fact that they are being implemented is in a way to benefit these situations. I know that it also might mean that in some cases it will reduce the um, the anonymity and and etc. But those in themselves have implications on on who actually is leveraging from that. Um, and at the end of the day, if if still we have the basis of crypto where um, what you have can't be removed and what you have in value is not going to be just following inflation, if if we have, or it cannot just be printed for the sake of printing. Um, if we have those things, then we might still have something which is very interesting, very useful, and and that is more aligned, but also at the same time more safe uh, for everyone. Okay. 
Um, Joachim, I don't know if you have any more questions for Martino. No, not on my side. It's been very clear and uh, honestly, I'm <laughs> impressed by the transparency again. It's been uh, a great pleasure having you, Martino. If I, if I may add also, honestly, this discussion was really flawless. I mean, uh, thank you a lot, Martin, for your, for your clarification on your project and how you're managing it. Uh, honestly, uh, well done, and thanks for making this better, but need to be done, and but it's not an easy one. So, uh, good luck for the rest. There's a lot of things to do, but I'm sure you, you will handle it. Um, Martino, we have uh, a couple questions from the community. There's one from Joseph Lin, who's saying, we are seeing Martino show up more and more publicly. What has changed? Um, I don't think anything has changed. I, I, it's like if there's if I get an invite or something, I, I will uh, I will be there. Um, obviously, there was the the from the moment I picked up um, being executive lead, it, it meant that I needed to first do a lot of things. So there was catching up changes that needed to be implemented so alignment many a lot of alignment sessions with uh, with benjamin minko and etc and multiverse x throughout and so for the first few months when it happened last year um i i was needing to be more internally focused um that's the start of it secondly if at any point i get an invite i'm i'm very comfortable as long as it's interesting and this is obviously extremely interesting for everyone and and so i i'm very comfortable in doing so the i think the main difference that people point out is that i'm not as um i'm not so much a social media voice like for example sania was or is uh, normally uh, x is something that is very distracting in many ways uh, in the crypto world, if you open it, it's it's a cluster uh, fest of many things, and and just trying to, I have difficulty in just sharing things for the sake of sharing. If there's something interesting or worth discussing, so I'm very more open to go into these type of sessions where let's discuss thing about anything about crypto, about payments, about whatever, uh, than just sharing a specific idea on Twitter. And there's so many bots; it's so annoying. <laughs> So they see me less in terms of that. Um, but at the same time, now we are moving into this place where our current goal is growth, growth towards profitability, growth towards we know what our ideal customer profile is and who actually benefits from our solution. So we are moving currently into a shift where you're going to start seeing more, um, not necessarily marketing yourselves, because we are not going to be targeting individuals who are targeting businesses. But we are pushing towards this, where you're going to be trying to be in more events together with Multiverse X and etc. Especially our sales team, um, not so much myself, but my, our sales team. And, and so I'm, we are doing this path where we now are able to, we have aligned many things internally. We have sorted out many processes. There's a lot more aligned with Multiverse X, where we can now be more out there and try to get this, this, um, this rolling. But personally, I don't feel like there's a difference. I didn't suddenly decide... I'm going to be more events. What actually happened was that you guys reached out and could you come? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, so that's that's the the difference, I, I guess. Um... All right, super clear. Um, and yeah, of course, it, I mean, you explained it uh, in a very transparent way. Again, uh, social media takes time, and sharing is also, you know, part of. Uh, for some people, it's very easy. 
for others, it's 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 harder. So um, different profiles, and um, it's good that you. Uh, I mean, I must say that we reached out. It was super easy to uh, to have you when we reached out again uh, for um, for Liechtenstein. It was super easy too. So um, it's good that you uh, you do share in the in the format that you you are the most comfortable with. Um, you touched on. Uh, profitability and we have a question about that from lucid who said who says and who asks is offering payments in in x times meaning um you know dividing your payments over time has been fought in order to increase profitability and revenue for x money um similar to shopify for example for example we have explored that uh, as well as subscriptions the the challenge comes into what is the crypto and blockchain basis? And if you're going to have access to someone to get their funds every once in a while, it's easy with cards because that's what happens. You get a, you get a key to access the card funds and you can go there and remove funds from it. Um, if we're talking about the wallets, that's not as straightforward. And then it becomes blockchain specific, where in some blockchains you have a specific solution, in others you have another solution to do that. So that could be the case. But the main thing that we see is, uh, the main use case that we see is between crypto companies, crypto services, invoice uh, services to crypto companies. We need to consider who are the people that have the most crypto. And out of those, who are the ones that want to use this to pay for services? So it's not that people for currently, um, they don't want to pay for groceries or small things or the coffee shop. Of course, there are early adopters and people that want to do that. But you're going to be paying more because you're paying, going to be paying for transaction fees most of the times. Um, or you're going to be using a card. So that's where cards come into play. So if you have a card, you're not paying for that. You're just charging the card and then you can use the card all you want. Um, but for the others, it's going to be, I'm a crypto company. I want to um, reach out to a branding agency and use their services. And I'm going to be using crypto to do that. I'm a crypto company and I want to pay salaries to my team. Um, so, and they want to receive in fiat. So they're confident in what they receive uh, and in their bank account so they can use it easily. So that's another use case. Uh, I want to acquire a house. Um, and when it comes into these, that situation is not as needed. But I am not saying we rejected it. We still have it as something that is interesting in it, to explore, but it's not something that we are looking towards implementing within the next few uh, months. I would say not this year, um, honestly. Okay, super clear. I hope, Lucid, you have uh, you have the answer that you, uh, you were looking for. Um, that was the last community question. So I, I will end up this uh, this great interview with uh, a question of my own. Um, that is that we see eight out of ten, you know, tech companies dying in in its first year. Um, so this is an entrepreneurship uh, question. What what's your take on this? Uh, why why is it so hard to grow a tech company? And and do you have advice to um, for young uh, for for starting tech entrepreneurs out there? It's it's always I think it ends up always being the same type of advice that people get. Um, there's obviously 
other devices, but depend on the context and etc. But at the core part of it, you need to have passion. If you don't have passion, you're going to get one struggle, two struggles, three struggles, one obstacle, and you're going to quit. And you're going to say, no, I don't want this. If you have passion that you actually are constructing something that's worth it, that you have a team that's worth being passionate about, then no matter what challenges or difficulties you're going to be facing ahead, no matter how many regulations are going to be changing, you're going to be pursuing what's the best solution and you're going to be working towards that. So that's that's one of the core parts. Obviously, many companies die because of lack of financing or because they are too early or, or many other types of situations. And that is, I think, Again, picking up from what I said in the beginning, though there was a unique circumstance with ICOs and et cetera, it also is what allowed us to survive uh, despite not being profitable for so long. And now we are able to focus on that and not have that uh, criticality. But it would never have been possible if the founders at the time were not passionate, if they were not bringing passionate people, if the passionate people were not the ones being promoted. Um, it's always about the passion. If you don't have a passion, if you just want to do a nine to five, you're not going to go into a startup that might die within two months or three months. That is always changing and is always having obstacles. You'd rather go to a stable company, which you're going to know that you need to do this until the end of the day and then it's done. There's plenty of times where we need to work throughout the night or until 1am or whatever. Um, and that's only possible through thanks, uh, um, passionate people and being passionate about the, the challenges. And yeah, I think that's the, the core, the one that is always shared is about passion. I, I, I mean, what you said is that people often get the same advice, but I think your advice is very different from things I've heard before. Um, many people, when asked this question, many entrepreneurs would say, you know, um, the path to uh, problem solution fit and then et cetera, problem market fit, it's a product market fit, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that you decided to say passion is, is the, what makes you go through the difficulty of, of being an entrepreneur. And, and when you're an entrepreneur, you should surround yourself with passionate people because it's hard. I think it's a very valuable uh, advice that not many people have given. So uh, thanks a lot for your answer. Um, guys, Philippe, uh, Rock, Joaquin, I think if, if you don't have any follow-up questions um, on the community side of things, it's, uh, it's good. So I would say let's end up this interview thank you very much martino it was a it was a fascinating chat with you i hope you enjoyed it as well for sure thank you again thank you for inviting thank you for the insightful questions as well so yeah thank you everyone for watching as well we we do have rock with a, a hand that is going up go on buddy if you have a Hey guys, uh, thank first firstly Martino, I, I really really greatly appreciated everything you said and just uh, loved every single word of it. So just handing over some flowers towards you and to everything that you guys are doing. Uh before I wasn't sure if you would still stay with us for the remaining part of these spaces. So I guess I just wanted to touch upon two things here. <clears throat> One is where you talked about UTK and the relation between, you know, 
the actual token and the growth of the business, I think it very, very much relates to NFT projects as well, where on one side you need to grow the business and on the second you need to keep your community happy. So as you said, sometimes you need to go against, let's say, the community in order to grow the business. You know, uh, If you only focus on, the, on keeping your community happy, you're never going to go the business and then in the long term, you're just going to die, right? It's like selling a pen, let's say, that you say that you will fix, you will, you know, exchange the ink and, you know, for a lifetime without gaining any extra money coming into the business. At the end of the day, you know, it's a business and you need to focus on the big picture with X money. So I fully appreciate you guys for, for doing that. I'm a UTK investor and I'm more than happy to wait for everything to get into its place. So just, just wanted to mention that, that, you know, I guess you guys are lucky as well with, with uh, Multiverse X is that there is a lot of, let's say, I'd say smart investors here. And just wanted to say, at least from my side, that I'm more than happy to wait. And I guess transparency, if you've... My advice would be like if you have certain periods of time where you can't announce anything for UTK, etc., just just make an announcement, guys. We are working on this, 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 whatever, just like general, even. And you know, it's for the good of the you know, X money crypto in total in general. And I'm sure everyone will understand. But yeah, uh, great job to you guys for that. And with regards to passion, man, I mean, like that's. That's so important. And, and I, I'm super, super thankful that you think that way because that tells me that that's the general um, kind of approach at Multiverse X in total and kind, kind of spreads to all of the other entities which fall uh, towards it. So that means a lot. You know, without passion, there's nothing. Uh, you can teach everything, but you can't teach passion. So yeah, super, super thankful for that. And uh, yeah, I loved every word, man. Um, Crypto Jones, you you came up. You have a question. Yeah. How are yeah, you, exactly. man? I'm good. Man. What about you? Do you hear me well, by the way? Okay. Yes, perfect. Nice. Go so on. yeah, I had a question. Like, uh, I was wondering what clearly was the adoption on, uh, like, as we see lately with uh, Liechtenstein, or as you guys also are. Uh, in Lugano, I was wondering if there was clear metrics about adoption, because I do understand like the the importance of doing such things. But in fact, is this solution, the crypto payment for legal stuff, really adopted or not? And that leads also to another question: like uh, you are implemented heavily in Lugano. But why then uh, aren't you in the whole Swiss country? And is it because of the, legisla the legis legislation and because you have like some facilities to go to Lugano? Or yeah, is it because of facilities you have in Lugano itself and, uh, and then you don't have in the the world country or, or how does it go about this mm -hmm. so i'm i'm not able to <clears throat> to share um numbers um because we are talking about if we would be sharing numbers 
I fully understand why why people are interested in about that, and I, I would like to be able to share those things. But uh, let's say that we just now onboarded um, a business, and and we are going to be telling you how much they are processing in payments with us. Um, that's not something that we can do because they're a client of ours, and we would be sharing their numbers, and they didn't accept us to to share those numbers. In the in the case of governments, that's even more so because it needs to be approved by. Uh, people that they will clearly see there's no value in me telling you why <laughs> that. And in the case of Liechtenstein, and I think that I mentioned that last time, it was already challenging in even getting an announcement. Uh, so because on their side, they don't see a benefit in that, obviously. Um, so with that said, I think it's important to to talk about two things, one of which is when it comes to governments accepting or national administrations and etc., it's bound to be very different periods. So whenever you need to pay taxes, it's more likely that payments are going to be a lot more interesting and significant to be in crypto. If it's about buying for parking tickets and et cetera, as I said, it's small payments. You don't quite see a benefit in doing that in crypto. So they, though there might be an option, it's unlikely that you would see a lot. If it's taxes, especially for people who are in crypto, especially if you have companies in crypto, uh, and in the case of Liechtenstein, there are quite a few companies there um, yeah, of crypto. So it's more likely that we would have a significant amount of volume on it. But for the most part, it's always going to be about um, leading towards this adoption. So if this type of entities are comfortable in accepting crypto payments, then why are we going into sales calls and them sharing with us that, oh, it's it's tricky. Oh, there's a lot of fraud. Oh, there's a lot of risk. Though we are safeguarding them from all of that, we still have a lot of challenges in converting clients that haven't been exploring crypto. So if they have been exploring crypto payments and if they know crypto, that's one thing, but everyone else still feels like it's not worth it. Um, and if these entities are accepting it, then that's less of a reason to not, not to also accept crypto payments. And so it helps us on converting throughout. So the effect is not just on the volume that we see in these entities, it's also on the level of acceptance that we might be getting from everyone else. Um, on the part of Lugano situation, Lugan was um, a partnership that was another time. They chose us to, to one of the services. In the meantime, within Lugano, there's two parts, which is the canton, which is like the district, and then the city. So they accepted us in specifically one of them. The other one, they were exploring doing so, but they ended up choosing for Swiss alternatives. So they ended up choosing for Swiss companies. And we are no longer a Swiss company. We used to be doing the ICO. Um, that's how we... Uh, we were based on the regulations that were following were in Swiss, but Swiss is not in the European Union. So in the conversation that we were doing before, uh, it didn't allow us to port um, things to other countries. And that's why we ended up opting for Estonia and Portugal uh, afterwards. So we could be in many places, including the whole of Swiss, but it's just that they, when we were discussing options and etc., they ended, they valued more following a Swiss company. Um, and for us, it's always also more tricky Swiss francs uh, as a settlement method. So we couldn't lower our payout fee too much. And in their case, they might have been able to do so more uh, as well. That might be one of the reasons as well. But with that said, it doesn't mean that within a year or something, 
it might not change because as we are developing our solution, there's a lot of things that X money as a crypto payment option is a lot better than others in general. I'm not talking about any specifically, one of which being refunds. So we, as usual, we're going to be doing reach outs to different entities and businesses that might not have opted for us at some point and mentioning, are you having challenges with refunds? Are you having challenges with this? And then they might end up opting. Um, but yeah, sorry for not being able to share specific numbers. No, no, no worries. Thank you. And uh, totally understandable. I didn't thought uh, at it like this at all. But uh, yeah, thank you for your answer. That was really clear. Great. I think, uh, Martino, this is a wrap. So um, thank you again for having, uh, for being here with us. Thank you for your transparency, for taking the time. I mean, uh, you, you don't have many people in the, in the industry. You know, yesterday I had a very quick call with Martino and he said, I, I blocked two hours and a half. I mean, that shows, you know, how uh, respectful you are with the, um, with the community at large. So thank you very much for this. Have a great day. Um, I don't know when we will see you again on GMMVX, but um, um, I'm sure that at some point you'll come back. Uh, all the best for the upcoming year and um, talk talk soon. Thank you again for having me and see you next time. All right, guys. Um, I hope that you enjoyed this uh, this great interview with uh, with Martino from from X Money Crypto. Uh, I personally think that it was brilliant. So uh, uh, I hope you. Uh, you did too. Now, how do you say it, uh, Rock? You know, uh, is it um, Uga Booga, uh, boys and girls, something like that? <laughs> Uga Booga, boys and girls. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yesterday when we were preparing this show with Joachim, we thought that it would be um, good to go to DGen, DGen land a bit because uh, GMMVX has been very serious lately. So um, not that the next topic is not going to be treated seriously, but it is a more colorful topic. So we are going to talk about the current NFT landscape as a whole, but also more specifically Multiverse X. And so to do that, we decided to bring in the one and only Rock Boogers. Hello, Alex. How are you, brother? Yeah, what an introduction, man. I mean, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps here. Uh, thank you very much for that warm, warm welcome. And yeah, it means a lot. Uh, I'm doing really, really good. Um, a little bit sleep deprived. Uh, if you know, you know. Um, plenty of things to do. Plenty of things to look after and think about so but doing good doing good how, how are you doing after that interview i, I really like that by the way that was awesome hey, you know we do we do three uh shows a week and every time there is a new person to interview and i think this is the most exciting part in every gmmvx um mostly it's uh, grm who's pulling the weight uh, because he's the main uh, the main host but I can I can interview or I can be in the audience. Uh, it's always great because we we have the 
the pleasure of discovering so many different places of uh, crypto crypto land and it's always fascinating uh, people have have stories they all come up from different places uh, they have very often crazy backgrounds that had led them to uh, to crypto land and uh, yeah it's it's brilliant so martinia wasn't uh, any different I mean, the guy has a crazy, uh, crazy journey um, in in Utrust and then X Money. I mean, from intern to, to CEO. I mean, that's that's quite something. Yeah, man, that's um, that's crazy. Uh, even just thinking about it, you know, just like unbelievable. Yeah, I'm not sure how often that happens, but it just shows you that they, you know, go for it talent and when they when they see someone that's passionate and talented they they choose them over let's say someone that could have had a slightly better cv or had some connections or etc so that's that's good to see that this is very that speaks a lot about the company and you know the kind of maybe brotherhood or just like family kind of approach maybe uh, it's good to see though yeah i agree i agree so on to our topic. I am going to start by disappointing some people in here because I'm very sad to say that we're not going to talk that much about Uga Booga, about Boogas. Um, because, because Rock, you know, is a difficult man. So, so when I wanted to talk NFT and I said, eh, maybe some Booga thing, and he said, no. No, 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 we're not ready. We're still, we're still warming up. And I think um, um, this is something that you're doing greatly. Uh, you know, uh, you are building up. We can feel it. Um, I haven't actually seen so much excitement about, around the project lately. So, uh, so we're okay. We're not going to talk about Bugas, but um, we are going to talk with Alex about the NFT scene as a whole. Um, Alex, you are someone that has been in the NFT scene, passionate about it for years now. I mean, when we, we met the side story, when we, when we met, uh, was when I was working at Drifters back then and we hit it off and you, I'm not going to say what you do, uh, you know, uh, in, in your job beside being an NFT founder, but you were uh, in Paris because you came back from um, from a, a work trip. You you can talk. And, uh, that's fine. You can talk about it. That's that's cool. Okay. So this guy is basically installing windmills, offshore windmills, um, for European governments, and he's also taking French state money to uh, install windmills. Um, offshore windmills in in France and in in other countries too. So uh, yeah, I think you have. Yeah, <laughs> I depicted you as a devil. Yeah, I guess. I guess just money. to just just to just to clarify that I don't actually install them. I supervise the the installations, and um, so it gives me a lot of time because it only takes me like an hour a day, and then I have all of the day to myself uh, to do whatever I want to do. So that's really cool, actually. Yeah, what, what uh, I know that you, uh, you also told me that uh, you work in some sort of um, shifts where you're off for months and then you're back home for months. Is, is that still the case? 
Yeah, so it's still the case. It's still six weeks on, six weeks off. Uh, when I'm at home, you know, I've got my family to look after. I've got my two kids. I've got, you know, uh, day-to-day uh, tasks like we all do, I guess. So actually, uh, when I'm at work, I love that I can solely focus on Bugas and, you know, just growing everything about me. So everything is focused around you know, I don't have any distractions and it's just like 14, 16 hour days in the office, you know, <laughs> crazy. I know it might sound, but it, it really, really is cool, actually. And, you know, and I get paid for it. So it's like super awesome that, you know, I can work on my own brand and at the same time get paid. So uh, I don't have to worry about financials, uh, which I guess a lot of NFT founders are. Uh, it's a tough spot to be in, you know, if, if that's your only source of income. So, yeah, back to you, Arno. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is already an introduction to um, to the topic. Um, let's talk about building NFT projects. Let's talk about building NFT brands. Um, what's your take on this? You know, th- there's so much to say. Where would you start, you know? Yeah, so uh, just to start you off on the on the bogus and why I kind of just I, I don't want to shove bogus down people's throats now. You know, it's it's uh, we've got a whole marketing campaign planned for March, right? So first of March, we're gonna start off with the first spaces, um, you know, and it's gonna be more focused on bogus. And then throughout the whole of uh, March, uh, I have planned loads of spaces. I have reached out to a lot of people outside of the Multiverse X ecosystem as well. So uh, hopefully everything will go as planned and you'll be able to see us, uh, you know, talking, repping Multiverse X. Uh, not just quite yet. Uh, sorry, I got ahead of myself there. <laughs> Uh, you know, just seeing us outside of the ecosystem and, you know, being on some bigger spaces, which should be awesome. And really looking forward to it. So that's our marketing plan for March. So I guess I just wanted to, you know, since you'll be hearing a lot about it, and hopefully you, all of the listeners here, will join those spaces. Uh, I didn't want to go into that details just yet. But that's the main reason. We just want to, you know, we want to be professional about it. And, you know, just want to stick to the marketing and plan and to all of our, um, you know, future endeavors. Um, going back to Arno, what you asked there, like what it is to be an NFT project, how do you go about starting one, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I really, really honestly believe that one of the biggest mistakes people make is they don't look about, they don't look at the big picture. They don't say, okay, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want the brand to be? What do I want to be the brand about? What kind of people do do I want to get inside of the community? You know, what are my values? Where I want to go with this, right? So you kind of, my advice would be start with the end goal in sight and then work backwards and ask yourself, okay, what do I actually need to achieve that? You know, how, how can I build a brand based around digital collectibles um, on a blockchain, right? Uh, in a niche already place, you know, how can I achieve that? Okay, so first thing, I guess, answers really quickly is like, it will be really, really, really hard for you to do that in a niche place already. You know, Web3 is niche. NFTs are even nicher. (laughs) So, um, you know, if your IP is very niche, 
it's going to be ultra, ultra difficult for you, right? So, you know, think big picture, think, okay, how can I attract Web2 world? How can I, you know, um, gain traction on Instagram, TikTok? Uh, you know, how will I be able to achieve that? What kind of IP do I need? Uh, what kind of IP is already out there within the NFT space and how I can stand out? How can I be different? Right. So I guess uh, you can go the easier route or it's like a JPEG or you can go the harder route of a full to the animated collection. Yeah, I wouldn't advise that, by the way, <laughs> because it's so much work it's so hard to do it's so hard to find artists that will work on this you know there is a very very good reason why all of the big big companies in the world switched to 3d animation because it's much easier to do it's much less costly and it's much less time consuming so if you've got a full 2d animated collection i do not know how many of the people will appreciate that but i'm hoping that a lot of you will or people will learn to appreciate it once they kind of understand how difficult it is to do and carry out. And we went a step further with that. You know, there's a lot of surprises inside of the collection. And I guess I'll stop there because otherwise I'll just uh, yeah, go. You said, you said that you wouldn't uh, shove it down, you know, and talk too, too much. Yeah, about it, so. yeah. So, anyway, so let's so, be mysterious. Yes, let's be mysterious. <laughs> so I guess. Start with the end goal and then work backwards to what you want, what you need to achieve that. And I guess talking about that, you know, like the Web3 space is niche, you know, crypto NFTs are a niche. Multiverse X, uh, you've answered that correctly. So your main goal is to breach the barriers. Your main goal is to go, okay, how do I market this thing? not only to a small chain like Multiverse X that nobody fucking knows about, right? So that's your ultimate goal. That's, that's what you need to focus on. So in order to do that, you need connections. That's paramount, you know, without connections, without people that will help you out or people that will get you in spaces or people in, in general, you know, you're, uh, I don't know how many of you guys know this, but a lot of the spaces, if you don't have friends in the right places, some of the spaces you'd have to pay like over few thousand dollars for one spaces or at least you know 500 bucks per space just to be on a space if you've got friends in the right places you are part of the correct group chats you know and people like what you're building that's also paramount uh, you get invited for free uh, so you can get to you know uh, talk about your project and everything that you're doing uh, for free and uh, you know, there's just so many more options available to you. So I guess mm, I'll stop there and I'll throw it back to you, Arno. <laughs> that, that's, it is, it is interesting what you're, what you're talking about because NFT projects is like any regular project, business project. You need to, you need to address an audience. That's what you talked about in the beginning with your having a broader vision. Where do you see your brand and your community positioned towards, you know? Um, and so when you're talking about acquiring, addressing an audience, then you get into growth. And how do you grow? How do you bring in people in, inside your universe? And so hearing you say and talk about the, the, the spaces, TikTok, Instagram, it just shows that 
you already have something in mind to address growth for for Bugas. And so I uh, it doesn't surprise me, of course, because I've I've looked your your marketing strategy uh, very carefully over the last months, and I think it's uh, thoroughly um, done and um, and brought to life. What I'm more interested in is okay. We, we don't talk about let's not talk about Bugas, but let's talk about you as a founder, um, because indirectly we will discover how do you envision um, the future of Bugas strategically wise. What are the projects, the NFT projects, the brands that um, that you n not necessarily admire, but you know you get inspired from? Um, and what specifically do you do you get inspired from? Yeah, so out there in the NFT world, there's plenty of projects that have already managed to have you know quite big success stories, right? So again, this goes back to like say my advice is you know learn from the best, right? Study the projects, study what they've done, how they've done it, you know what kind of approach to marketing they had. Uh, how they communicate, uh, how they act, how they handle themselves, how they act to FUD, how they do everything in their day-to-day -day on the web-free space. So that's, um, that's one. Two, uh, with regards to the projects that I admire, and there's quite a few, I guess, I try to stay connected as much as possible to the web-free space and to the, especially to the NFT space because it's my job. Uh, I need to know what's happening all the time, right? So I start, I follow all of the big projects. I see what they're doing. I see how they are changing tactics depending on current meta as well, etc. Um, my, let's say, go-to projects uh, with regards to community, like Pudgy Penguins are crushing it with the whole community aspect. Uh, and it just, like, one thing about the Pudgies, uh, not not sure if everyone's aware. So you have little pudgies and then you have big pudgies, right? So the little pudgies now are about 2.2 ETH or 2.3 ETH, uh, which is like $6,000-ish, slightly above that. And then Big Brothers have just surpassed BayYC. So I'm not sure how many of you guys are following, but this is like major news in the NFT space, you know, for BayYC to be crushed by pudgies, right? However, in the ecosystem and inside of the community, little pudgies get treated exactly the same as big pudgies, right? So the big pudgies, let's say, call them that, they understand that the little pudgies are the marketing force, right? They spread awareness. They, they are the, the first, let's say, um, NFT that people will try to buy. So if they buy them, then they can buy the, the, the big pudgies. I guess the only thing that differs is the amount of airdrops, right? Because Lucanets as well has a really great approach on tokens where he does not want his own token, but he does a lot of collaborations with a lot of major projects and he organizes the drops for the holders, right? So he doesn't have to worry about the the price of the tokens. He doesn't have to worry about anything of that. The other projects get some exposure. Win-win, right? Um, apart from Pudgies, I guess, Klanozars are really, really hitting it big. They've got like 15 animators working for them at the moment, which is unreal. 
they are um, getting loads of fun of money getting in to to Klanosaurus. Not only like NFTs are just like a small fraction of that. There's like serious serious stock behind the closed you know doors. So we don't know exactly what they're talking about. But they are having like massive massive conversations. You know, to all of you know the big uh, big dogs in the animation world, right? So, like, if like not not financial advice, but if you can afford the Klano, man, I think Klanos are gonna skyrocket. Like, if like next year or two, I think uh, pudgy prices, etc. But that's just again my opinion. So don't don't but listen. Even <laughs> like that, if 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 we think about like the the saga meta, like. One of the very first airdrops that was on the Saga phone before it went mainstream and everyone wanted it for the bonk was Call of Saga, which was a Klanosaurus uh, collection, which allowed you to get a Klanosaur. I'm not sure which benefits it has compared to the like Genesis collection, basically. But they've been in the forefront of, as you said, like high quality uh, content, but also in making... I remember they had like... Um, booster packs during uh, conventions where you could win um, NFTs inside, etc. So they've really been extremely good at communicating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Klanosaurs, they're really, really doing an amazing job. And they're all about spreading awareness. They're all about brand awareness, uh, growing all of the Web2 accounts, right? Uh, that that's what they're harnessing. That's they know that you know if the whole let's say Web two world starts getting interested in Klanos, it will have direct correlation to the Web three scene. Um, so that's where their focus is. You know they're focusing on the top funnel. They want you know as many people to be in love with the characters, and you know their characters are just cute. They're goddamn amazing, right? It's inclusive art. You know so. That's what you really need to go mainstream, in my opinion. Um, that's, let's say, the, the the most important reason why Azuki's uh, made. Um, uh, left my head now. Help me out here. Um, oh my god! Uh, what what's Azu um, beans? Yeah, sorry about that. My my head went uh, frozen there for a second yeah so that's the main reason why azuki has beans because it's easily marketable it's very inclusive the, the art you know azukis are not so um i guess that's the, the big thing uh, from projects are currently you know they, they currently just minted uh, goons are doing a incredible job so it's it's very good for us as well because we get to see kind of the, the, the things and the strategies that we were thinking of doing and we can see them replicating a lot of them and they're doing an amazing job and quality that they are releasing just now with the 3D goons uh, that's on Solana by the way is remarkable through the roof and again you know everybody knows about uh, about them uh, slowly so they're, they're focused on growth they're s focusing on calibrations and just getting out there you know being seen and you know, it, we live in, in an attention economy. If you don't have the attention on you, you could have the best NFTs, you could have the best plan, you could have the best whatever. But if nobody knows about it, nobody is coming. And I guess that's my biggest advice. Like if you're building something and it's really amazing, you know, whatever, 
if nobody knows about it, nobody will come. And that's that's just facts because people will go where the hype is. People will go where their airdrops are. And that's just going to be case scenario. And follow that, I guess, another very, very important topic is, you know, having a feedback loop in, embedded into your, let's say, community uh, and the founders and main team to have like a, a feedback loop where everything you kind of do, you know, people, you get instant feedback, right? You can have it automated uh, however you do it, but it's paramount because last thing you want is to build something that nobody wants. And I have seen it time and time again, you know, people just like blind horses, you know, us, they have their goal aiming towards and they not simply understand or see that nobody is interested. And even when they finish it, nobody will come because nobody wants it, nobody is interested. So again, you know, focus on what people want and actually, you know, check it, you know, instead of waiting to release uh, a fully polished product, I guess that's one of the biggest mistakes I see in, in startups in general. You know, people focus too much on creating this fully polished, beautiful product and then it turns out people don't want that. People want something else. And then yes, if, that, that's, if you that is that is something that you um, that you can see uh, you can see, and it's it's a mistake that you see many people make. And as you said, it's across it's across building and launching products and, and companies. Um, but I think in the NFT space, it's even it's even a bigger mistake because people are interested by the journey. They are interested with the story, and uh, I think this is something that you're doing a um, a great job at with the Bugas. Is that you're building, you're using the building journey as a way of filtrating um, your OGs, people who are there when when there's nothing official, when you're just building, and those those people if they stay. They will stay forever, and and that's a brilliant opportunity to figure out who are your ten, fifteen, twenty, fifty hardcore people who are going to be there forever. Um, Rock, I'm interested in what you think about the current multiverse X NFT uh, ecosystem. Um, do you have some? You know, you see some good things. Do you see some bad things? Um, feel free just to, you know, give out your points. Yeah, so I guess first I'll start off with some advice. Um, so if we are to succeed, we need to work together. We need to collaborate. We need to show the strength of the Multiverse X community, uh, I guess. So just by helping each other out, and it will go a long way, you know, and that can be that can come in many uh, ways, shapes or sizes, you know, and it can be different for each project. But I think collaboration over competition, 100 uh, percent in in our ecosystem, like we've got a lot of amazing things going for us. I guess we can start off by highlighting the amazing marketplaces, you know, frame it, XOX, no, uh, you know, a lot of. Um, Blockchains don't have that even, even, you know, with like five times, 10 times the volume that we have, right? So that's, that's a very, very good thing. Like the foundations 
the foundation is really good. Um, you know, a lot of people say that we don't have the Degen Degen mentality, right? Or etc. I guess it comes from the top. It comes from uh, you know the Multiverse X team that didn't push for that. You know, like a lot of blockchains have influencers that were created from scratch by the core develop by the core team, right? So they created those those characters. They're paying them big bucks to be these you know influencers. We don't have that, right? So. Uh, I guess it's 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 a totally different world here, but with with the right approach and with get, getting the eyes on us, I really believe that we have a great great future uh, for us because reality is like the way I see it. In two, I don't know how many years, but maybe two years, I'd guess. People will not care where your project is. They will not care which blockchain it is on. It will not matter. Nobody will know. It will be all connected. It will make no difference. So just think of it this way. All of the liquidity, all of the money from Ethereum, etc., it will be everywhere because that's at least that's the way I see it. So, yeah. All right. Um, and do you see, like, what do you think about... Um, you, you talked about the, the, the collection being inclusive and instantly I thought about um, cow cows uh, that I assume between the, the first collection and the smooths, um, that is the second collection, they're pretty much inclusive in, in that sense. Um, is this the kind of, of project that tomorrow when you say, you need to work in synergy. You need to um, to make sure that everybody sees that there's uh, strength in in you know joint communities. Is is that a project that you would uh, like look to work with in the future for Bugas? Yeah. So every uh, collaboration needs to be beneficial for both parties, right? That that's where you need to start with. Uh, if your proposal of collaboration is only one-sided, right? Then, then it will not work. Uh, I guess a collaboration needs to make sense. Um, you can collaborate on different ways, I guess. You know, like uh, combine spaces, try to help each other join different spaces. Uh, just getting the, the the reach out and getting the eyes on you. Uh, you know, talk about each other as well. Mention each other. It, it really, really goes a long way. Let's say, like, if I'm on spaces and someone asks me about you know, different projects and I mentioned these projects, it, you know, it will get the audience, the people, you know, incentive to, to look at it. Right. So that's even just that goes a long way. But going back to what you said, uh, like, I don't really want to speak about with cow cow. I guess I can give you a different example. Let's say, uh, cyberpunk city is, is a great example of a perfect collaboration, let's say for, for us, uh, it would make a lot of sense because let's say if our plan goes accordingly and if we grow as we hope we will, uh, we potentially could bring a lot of eyes, you know, like especially during Mint and all of that, we could bring a lot of eyes for Cyberpunk City and a lot of people. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's what they they really need, right? So, and for us, it's, you know, I, I don't want to create the metaverse. That's That's not my dream. 
Uh, I want to create a global, you know, Web3, Web2, multifaceted brand focused on in real life products. Uh, so that's, that's, that's where we want to go. And everyone can do their own thing. So for me, I will be looking to collaborate with as many, let's say, uh, metaverses and games et cetera, as I can, because it's exposure for the brand, it's exposure for Bugas. Like even now, even though we've not minted out yet, we're, I've already nearly finished the, the 3D Buga, <laughs> some alpha for you guys. Uh, so that's the 3D Buga is nearly finished and it's going to be in Nifty Island as soon as I finish it. And just by putting my 3D character into Nif- Nifty Island, you know, hopefully there will be some exposure and questions. Uh, another thing you can do that works wonderful that I'm, you know, it's not like I'm being dishonest here. I'm joining uh, communities that I really like and I get good vibes from, right? So just recently I joined the, the Undeads, uh, Genuine Undeads. You know, it's a it's an Eve uh, project with a lot of, you know, a lot of people and a lot of passion and, you know, great, amazing people. And they show support, right? And through that support, I, I get a lot of, through those people, I get a lot of questions already about Bugas. And, and it's a way to breach the barriers, right? So let's say, don't wait for people to come to you. Go to them, uh, I would say, is, is, a, is a great approach. Uh, because people will just not come. Um, yeah. Yeah, agreed. I love that mindset because, and, and it's something we've talked about um, lately too on GMMVX. It's about, you know, is it the responsibility of the chain to attract people? Or is it the responsibility of each business to attract its own clients? Of course, if you arrive on a chain where you already have a lot of people, it is some sort of an advantage. But you shouldn't assume that everybody is going to be interested by your product. So uh, when back in the days we had Stepan, Solana didn't have, you know, they had 10, 10 times less users than they have today. And, and we saw a huge spike because of this product. And... Last week, we, we had um, the founder of the, um, the project that invaded our timelines. Uh, I think it's Crypto Shrooms or something like that. Somebody correct me. But um, uh, yeah, uh, those guys, they built uh, their, their product on Multiverse Sex, but they, you know, the founder said it when we went out there, we didn't talk about multiverse sex. We talked about our project and, and the virality and, and the strategy to, to, to grow. It just worked not because of multiverse sex, but because of the virality factor that we managed to, to, to hit. Right. Um, so I am convinced that, um, good products, with good product market fit, uh, if they have a, a good marketing strategy to acquire, to grow, they're going to grow. And the chain is, yes, the chain is a, is a short-term band-aid. But, but if you're awesome, you're going to be awesome. That's just plain and simple. And after <laughs> I, I you love have that, many more factors, You're awesome, you're going to be awesome. <laughs> 
let's fucking go <laughs> let's go let's all be awesome that's what we need we need to be awesome and hopefully everyone in this audience is awesome as well yeah i can see a lot of awesome people here uh yeah definitely man it's uh, it's hard to hard to breach a bit uh but man the just the the love and then you know the positive responses that that you get if you do it right and i guess it's all like I like to call it like the new meta, it's organic hype, right? So it's like when the quality of the product meets uh, attention, right? So if you if your product is really good and you get the attention, then, you know, it, it could blow up nicely. Uh, so then you don't need all of these shilling tactics and all of that bullshit that we see on the daily. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys, let's say, saw the Play Teddies. Uh, mint and all of the fiasco that <laughs> went down seven days later. Not sure if you can guys you, can you walk us through. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll, I'll walk you through the whole thing. So Play Teddy's uh, project on Solana, you know, a lot of hype uh, on Solana, same as like on Polygon, as you probably saw it with Kaukau. You you get a lot of assistance, right? We were actually offered uh, assistance by Magic Eden and Polygon. Polygon wanted to get us on their chain. And yeah, we, we didn't take that, which a lot of people might say we're, it's stupid, but yeah, we just don't believe in that. Um, so you get a lot of assistance, you get a lot of help from the influencers on chain, etc. to create a lot of hype and what, whatnot. So play daddies, a lot of hype, you know, obviously mints out uh, about $2 million out of nowhere, really, you know, like one month in mints out full collection. And then seven days after Mint, the main founder wrote, wrote, writes a letter to the whole community. Guys, this has been tough. You know, I've uh, changed my perspective. I cannot do this no longer. The pressure is too big. You know, you cannot write this shit, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, and he, he puts it out there. And it's just like unbelievable that, you know, just the games and, and, and the mockery of all of the investors. And, it's, and it was a Magic Eden, uh, you know, uh, launchpad. So you, you just got to ask yourself, you know, what, what are we doing here? If, if that's the kind of thing that we're pushing forward, you know, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is the barrier is low, really low, but it's very, very difficult to breach through and get the attention. And that's what you need to fight for. Uh, ultimately, if you give up on that, then there's nothing left. You need the attention. And uh, I guess blockchains can help you with it. They can give you spotlights. They can, uh, you know, highlight, you know, the, the builders and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's on you. It's not on the blockchain. It's on you to get out there. It's on you to meet the right people. It's on you to get the connections. It's on you to go to all of the in real life events, you know, and just market. You, you need to market. You know, you can you can build, but you need a person, let's say, in the team that will be responsible for the marketing and for getting the voice out there, right? You need a Frank D. Gods in your project that will be out there and will be speaking to people and will be making friends and, you know, will be throwing dope shit Dope shit. I, I know that, let's say, Frank D. Gods now maybe has not the best uh, uh, PR, but trust me, he will come back stronger than ever. He, that, that guy is, is a legend, and I'm, I'm sure, than, sure in him, like, that's for sure. 
that's crazy. The, the teddies, I didn't know that. You know, I, I've, I've, I'm not as much as uh, in NFT as, as before, but that, that story is legendary. <laughs> yeah, you can't I mean, make it up. You can't make it, man. You, you just can't out, you know, like $3 million and seven days later, yeah, I'm gone. <laughs> well, he's still there, but yeah, they're trying to sell it to some Web2 company. They're in the process, supposedly. I don't know what's that about. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, we, we have projects here, uh, even in the audience. I mean, um, builders, I, I see, of course, we have Joachim. I see Hakim. I see Framit. I mean, $2 million. I mean, just just bridge the liquidity. <laughs> well, that would be illegal. But, but yeah, I mean, it's... I've it's, got another uh, one. I've got another one for you. I've got another one for you. Uh, BayYC, I'm not sure how many people are following this, although this latest news. BayYC acquired uh, the whole of Moon Labs, uh, Moonbirds. And they acquired it for zero dollars, right? For zero. And their treasury was something like three million dollars. So, you know, the crazy thing is they just like what? took three million dollars into their own entity and they paid zero for it. So they get, so this, uh, the, the ex-founder, I think it's Kevin, Kevin Wise or something he's called, I can't remember now exactly. And he, <laughs> he, he turned away everything just to, you know, remain his kind of um, status, let's say, whatever. And just to get out, it, it was a, a getaway card. He didn't want to be in the space no more. So he passed on everything to BayYC. Uh, yeah, and three million dollars uh, as well at the same time. I, only in crypto. I mean, this is. I don't. I don't even know how that would work. You know, uh, how does it work? You acquire a company that has that has three million in in treasury, and you acquire it for zero. What, how how is that possible? You know, did did it have debts or whatever? Because it, I mean, nothing, man, nothing. Uh, I honestly don't know. It's it's only in crypto, man. It's only in crypto that you, you you get to do that. Because I guess he already you know put a lot of money into his pocket, so it's it's just a way of you know kind of not allowing for people to chase you know to, to chase you. You know when you're doxed, you know if he were to rug or if he were to do something else, you know I guess he would be frightened for the rest of his life. So by doing this, he kind of comes away clean in a way and still maintains all of the money that he did make. You know, so it's kind of kind of a win-win in a way. But yeah, it's it's crazy nonetheless. All right. Um buddy, let's let's not make it too much longer because um, you know, at the end when when we uh when we put this episode on Spotify, when people see five hours or twenty-three minutes, they run away. So um, uh, I have a last question for you. Um, to you, if you if you weren't building um, an NFT project and you were looking into, you know, getting involved in in upcoming NFT projects, what is the current meta that you would be looking for? What are the the green flags, if we had to say the contrary of red flags, that you would be looking for? So most important for me is long-term vision. You know, 
and I guess not following the current meta. So like if a project comes out and says, okay, we are building a game, you know, uh, I'm not going to go for that because I'm not interested in that because there's just too many projects out there that are currently building games. And it's no offense to anyone in the audience as well. It's just something that I am personally not interested in because it's just my own opinion and my own decision. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for originality. I'm looking for in real life use cases. Uh, let's say like with, with the goons example, right? So they, they have their end goal, right? in in, in place, their end goal is actually world dominance, <laughs> however you want to call it. But basically they will have like, they, they've got a super, super cool idea. They've got, they will have seven, uh, I think seven or seven or six different uh, kind of like DAOs, but they're not calling it. They're calling it like groups, which will have each individual leaders as well. And but it's not like let's say with Project X, uh, they are focused on in real life stuff. So one is like anime, second one is like uh, football or or soccer, whatever. Like, I think it's sports. Then there's you know there's so all of these different categories, and they will be making like in real life products based on the IP in those fields, right? So they're all going to try each and every single one of those, let's say, small mini projects inside of the big project. They're going to be doing that. But like on top of that, they've got Fidgetals, which is a brand new concept of, let's say, story, converting your in-real-world assets to digital collectibles. So it can be anything, really. You can It can be a Rolex, whatever. They will allow people to convert all of your, let's say, collectibles to digital collectibles. Whereas they'll have like a, a storage and you'll be able to, to send it and they will convert it and they'll send you back like an NFT, etc. So that's that's their idea for this. And then on top of that, they've got as well custom uh, toys, you know, collectible toys. And they're going about it, in my opinion, the right way as well because they're focusing on high-end expensive toys. Because let's say the, the let's say going back to pudgies, um, with the plushies and pudgies, from a business perspective, they it costs pudgies more, right? It costs them more money to drop the pudgies at Walmart than they made. So it was a, a, a net negative inside of the business, right? But why did they do it? Well, they did it to prove one a point that it's doable to change the, the opinions of, the, let's say, the Web2 world, etc. And they just recently actually got a reorder. So it's, it's a massive win for them. However, they're not making money on that, just to be aware of that, right? Because it's like the, the plushie is $9, cost of shipping, cost of you know uh, transfer, taxes, whatever, everything. If you add all of that on top, marketing, it's they add money towards it. So... Um, yeah, going back, just you need to make money. You need to be a business. You need to be focused on, you know, bringing revenue in. Because otherwise, how are you ever going to manage to, um, let's say, give out um, things to to your believers, to your the the people that own the the digital collectibles, let's say the the NFTs, right? So you, you will never you will die in the end because you will have nothing to give from. So you need to grow. So you need to be focused on growth. So by all means, focus on community. But at certain times, you need to make the harsh decisions of 
what's better for the end goal, what's better for the 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 business side of things, right? Generate revenue. Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so vision, sustainable growth through business, uh community, you said it. So how how would you what do you see in projects handling community? I and again, not not established projects, starting projects that are not even launched yet. What are the signs that you like to see, community-wise? I guess um, quality over quantity. That's one. Um, two. How would you how would you transcribe that in community? So let's say even when you look at comments to posts, right? That's an easy way to to see who's who's following who's, you know, what they're um, let's say how involved they are, how connected they are. When you look at our posts, when you look at our quote posts, whatever, you know, you can see that people are genuinely interested, that they care, that they, you know, that they're present, right? It's not only let's fucking go. Uh, you know, fire emoji or wag me, you know, mentality, uh, you know, so you're kind of looking for long-term community members over hype driven, you know, people that are there just to, to, uh, just to show, just to flip at the end of the day. All right. All right. Well, we have it here, the playbook to find and invest your money in NFTs wisely. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, uh, all of this was not financial advice. Uh, it's just um, a sneak peek into uh, Rock's mind and his playbook towards um, finding promising NFT projects and most likely how he is just building his own with the Boogas. Um, Rock, my friend, it was a pleasure having you to uh, to wrap up this space with uh, insights on the on the current market. It, I think you know, we will talk about it with uh, GRM and the, the the rest of the of the team because we've been lacking some DGen news, and uh, I don't know if 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 it would interest you to come up. I don't know once a month to uh, to talk about what's happening in the NFT world with uh, a few crazy Teddy stories um, and also what's going good. Um, I mean, that, 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 would, that would be very cool, I think, for, also for our audience. So thanks a lot for being here. Thanks a lot, uh, everyone, for being here um, for, the whole, for the whole space. We talked about Sovereign Shards. We talked um, with Martino Aragao uh, through an interview, uh, lead and CPO for X Money Crypto. And we finished with a little uh, NFT land overview with uh, Rock Boogers. Thank you very much again. Um, please do share, comment, quote this space if you liked it. Uh, it. It helps us build the audience and it's very important, um, very important for us. So have a great day, have a great week, and uh, see you very soon for French speakers. We have another GMMVX Friday morning at 10 a.m. CET or 9 a.m. UTC, wherever you live. Bye-bye, guys. Thanks, Joachim. Thanks, Philippe. Thanks, Rock. See you soon. Please do share, comment, 
quote this space if you liked it. Uh, it, it helps us build the audience and it's very